0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at one eight five five chat byu
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Literacy Day. The day... To be literate. Okay. Not a lot to say about that. Happy Pardon Day, too. Today is the day uh, of pardons. Which I think at the rate Hillary Clinton's going, she may be looking for a pardon in just a bit.
1: She's been waiting for this day her (laughs) whole career.
3: Say, like, please, Barack, pardon (laughs) me today.
4: And today's going to be Monday all day, is it not?
3: Oh, this is a horrible day today. I
4: always want it... Tuesday. Yeah, it's always Monday. Well, and it's when you come po- off a holiday, and you
3: have the post Labor Day blues. Yes, my calves are throbbing. What did you do? We went hiking.
4: Oh, fun! Where'd you know you what?
3: Go? We hiked a mountain, and uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's behind Just my a house.
4: <laughs> it's called
3: <laughs> <laughs> right behind my house, <laughs> and it's easy going up, and the hard's coming down. Down, yeah. They always say that, but I haven't hiked enough to actually know that. <laughs>
4: You found out firsthand.
3: Holy cow, they're throbbing.
4: How fun. That was perfect weather to go.
3: And I brought my son in today, hoping that he would, like, massage my calves. huh Not doing he's it. He's
4: kind of staying away. I, he I thinks he's kind of cool. in the corner over I know. There.
3: <laughs> he's looking at me like, don't bring me Gross. into this. Uh, the, uh, the the What did you do, by the way?
4: We had a family barbecue, went and hit some golf oh, balls, and I realized it? that I don't like the game because it's too frustrating. So, Really? I hit just about 10 and went, I'm done. So I watched my husband and son hit the rest. It's <laughs> <laughs> so frustrating. Well, that's,
3: uh, why is it frustrating? Oh, it's the greatest gift no. of sport on no. earth.
4: I mean, I love the game, but it, you know, you hit a couple great ones and then the next 20 are terrible.
3: You know what? I know the so, feeling. So so frustrating. Mine is, I, my first 10 are really bad, and if I stick with it, then, then I can, it gets better? then I get the rhythm. Okay. Oh, then I get the rhythm. Yeah, and you know what? That doesn't hurt my. No, actually, it does hurt my calves too. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm in horrible shape. <laughs> it's pathetic. Hey, did you watch that game? There was this game there on this a game? weekend. Was it Saturday? It was Saturday.
4: Uh-huh. I'm gonna talk about and that a little later. Mary. But yeah, I don't know something like that.
3: Ah, oh, it was fantastic.
4: Yeah. Was that the greatest ever? That
3: was the greatest ever. Oh, but Taysom oh. Hill? Are you kidding me?
4: I am. You just interviewed Taysom. Brokenhearted hearted for him. Seriously. I mean, you, we you... were screaming both. So my husband and son were downstairs watching and I was upstairs because I thought, oh, gosh, this is yeah. over. But I kept it on and was folding laundry. And and of course, when he caught it, when Mitch Matthews caught that, we were all screaming. Yeah. And within five minutes, when he found out the taste was done for the year, we were just sick. That it was horrible. It was just the most bittersweet day. It really was. We had
3: just interviewed his wife, mm-hmm. Emily. You would just interviewed Taysom. Yeah.
4: And in the story, I talked about the fact that he was, uh, you know, looking at options because football may not be a long-term right. prospect. Right. And there you go. Oh. Wow. So I'm glad he did. He found out really what he really wants to do after football. But I was really, I was just heartbroken for him.
3: You know what? That is sad.
4: Three times. Three I mean, but times. It's, I guess it's and kind it was of like season early.
3: You know what? What are you supposed to do? Your body can only do so much. At that point, you're just
4: thinking, "Okay, this isn't what I'm supposed to do." I don't know. Never heard of such a thing. He's
3: run before, right? I mean, many times. He's done this, so it's just you know. And then the rookie. Mangum throws Tanner this – can you believe that? that?
4: That was just amazing. What a way to start. And yeah. then his
3: brother. Did you see his brother's yeah, his catch? his
4: brother. That was
3: – At well, Idaho the great State? thing is
4: on ESPN, Tanner was number one and his brother was number two. That was amazing. That was so the, fun. I'm sure his family was oh, just ecstatic. And his
3: his parents went to the brother because they're like, we know the brother's going to play. Oh,
4: yeah. Tanner's not going to get in.
3: Little did I they know. know their son <laughs> would throw. Probably the biggest catch
4: one of the biggest in BYU history. Easily for in the sure. top three, yeah,
3: right? Yep. Yeah. Holy cow.
4: <laughs> Did you watch, though? Were you watching? I watched the whole
3: game. Oh, yeah. Isn't that awesome? It was awesome. Oh, I mean, it was awesome. But it's frustrating. Football frustrates me.
4: Very. but yeah, It was fun coming in. I was listening to the guys on ESPN, and, and uh, one of them said, we were just at a restaurant. And when that when they caught that ball, he said, my whole family, we just jumped up, and we were so excited. And I thought, you know, it really was. <laughs> yeah. All over. The, I mean, all that over. Was. It wasn't was. just for us. A lot of people who maybe aren't even BYU fans or Nebraska right. fans, for that matter, just it was awesome.
3: Well, the funny thing, a Hail Mary it was usually a Catholic thing.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And then the Mormons just did it. <laughs>
4: No, they took over. What do we say now? What do we call it?
3: I don't know. Blessed brother. I don't know what you call those. That was an amazing oh,
4: That was, was an amazing event. That was, was super great. cool.
3: Let's go to the headlines, find out from Kathy
4: what else is going on. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Congress is back in session today with several issues to be dealt with. Two key issues include votes on the Iran nuclear deal, which could take place this week, as well as talks to define Planned Parenthood. The accord with Iran is expected to pass since enough Democrats have agreed to vote for it and secure a veto from President Obama. According to a report out of the New York Times, two emails Hillary Clinton received on her private email server were top secret at the time. Sending classified secrets to non-secure accounts outside the government is illegal. Meanwhile, Clinton yesterday said again she did not send or receive any information that was marked classified at the time. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders has opened up a nine-point lead over Clinton in New Hampshire, according to the latest NBC Marist poll. The survey shows 41 percent back Sanders, while 32 percent back Clinton. The Kentucky County clerk who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses is asking her state's governor to set her free. Kim Davis was jailed last week on contempt charges. Republican presidential nominee Mike Huckabee weighed in on the matter.
5: A county clerk in Kentucky who, acting on her Christian faith, is criminalized, jailed without bail because she acted on her conscience and according to the only law that is in front of her.
4: Kentucky Governor Steve Beshear said he's staying out of it, leaving the matter between Davis and her attorneys and the court. Germany's Vice Chancellor Sigmar Gabriel said his country could take in a half million refugees annually for the next several years. An estimated 20,000 refugees entered Germany via Hungary this past weekend alone. Gabriel said, it, it, however, is demanding other European countries accept the refugees so his country doesn't have to take in the majority of those looking for a better life. Germany has the largest economy in Europe. Europe. Several hundred police officers from around the country attended the funeral of Joe Glenowitz, the officer killed while chasing three suspects on foot. The uh, funeral was held yesterday. Officer Nicholas Garcia talked about the fallen deputy.
3: Joe was a great husband, an awesome dad, a mentor to the police officers of tomorrow, and a friend to many.
4: The manhunt continues for the three suspects. Two Texas high school players were suspended from school after charging after a referee and knocking him to the ground during a game Friday night. Police yesterday said they're investigating the incident. Here's criminal defense attorney James Reeve.
6: The problem in this case is the helmets could arguably uh, be considered a weapon. If the helmet's considered a weapon, that will make it a
2: felony in this case.
4: The players are from J. John High School and were immediately ejected from the game.
2: Launches it. Goes for the end zone. The ball's on the air. It drops. At the goal line. I think he caught it for a touchdown. He got it!
4: Love that call! I that was Greg too. Rebell from IMG Network, and that was just one of the best calls ever. If you haven't heard it a thousand times, there it is again. Tanner <laughs> Mangum to Mitch, Mitch Matthews. You know when he when he went in, you were like, "Oh my gosh, did he cross the goal? Did he cross the oh, goal wow. line?" I was
3: so worried about but that. But the
4: best part, did you see Taron Hout go and hug yeah, the referee? That was was so that cool. hilarious? You could tell he went and hugged him, and at the last second, thought, "Oh, I'm not supposed oh, to don't touch referee. the referee. Please don't, don't Please don't throw <laughs> a flag. Please don't throw a flag." Oh, what if he but threw anyway, a flag? But anyway, Greg Rebell, that was classic.
3: Greg, I mean, it's like Greg was. How do you talk after that? I don't know. He was out he of, kind of control. kind of sounded like
4: a little girl, he did. which was okay. Which was totally yeah, great. Yeah, totally fine because we were all just, <laughs> I think, our, we were high-pitched, every single one of us, when we were screaming. You need
3: to call so, Greg and, uh... and tell him, man, you sounded like a little girl there, <laughs> screaming. But that was, I think
4: he admitted that. So. That
3: catch was, I mean, you just don't think it's going to happen. Oh, no. There were seven guys there.
4: Yeah. You're going, oh, this was a good game. Yeah. Anyway, you got it close. Right. And then when that came down, like they like they all said, you know, you go for the ball, you go to hit it down. I, I'm kind of surprised no one was, it was in front of him. I know. To try to knock it down, but you know, and Mitch Matthews, I think he's what six, 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 seven. That's that's hard. To, oh, is, that, is hard. he that? Tall? Oh, he's tall. He's got. They've got two that are very. tall. I was right wondering why he was yeah. so.
3: There. That that yeah. makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And that how was that his name? Uh-huh, Had a grade. Hauk. Game. They had a
4: great game, yeah, over 100 yards. Receiver. So the
3: receivers look good, but you've got a freshman quarterback. You're a sportscaster. What do you think?
4: Well, they've got to get their running game going. They had they oh, did not have a good running no, game really. at all. And when their nose guard went out, and I just went blank on his uh-huh. name, that really hurt. They had a hard yeah. time getting uh, pressure on the quarterback, so that hurt. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of maybe change things for that, or who they're going to stick in that slot. But that's a key position. Losing for
3: Jamal sure. impacted Losing Jamal, the running yep, game for sure. big time.
4: Absolutely, yeah. Oh. yeah. But they've got a they've got. Great receivers, so I think Tanner will do well. Um, they've just got to give him the protection. Uh, he's not a runner like Taysom, of course, not yeah. many are. Yeah, uh, but it'll be fun to watch. And he plays Boise State this weekend. He's from Boise, so that'll it'll be, be a fun. big draw, yeah. too. Can you imagine the pressure? Boy, you know, he, he went in thinking, Well, I'm just filling in for a all little right. bit, right? Right and now, he's the guy. So Can you imagine
3: how, how that changes the whole game? But sure. I didn't know uh, Bronco made a comment about how he and Jemice Jamais, Jamais, Jamais Winston.
0: Jameis.
4: is it uh huh
3: winston won they were they
4: vps for the the elite eleven quarterback camp, which is huge that's i mean huge. that's yeah, for the best quarterbacks in the nation, so so what's funny here's Jameis, he's already in the pros. And Tanner's just starting his career. I know. So and they were Return both the same age. Yeah. Three yeah. months great ago, kid. he was on
3: a mission great in kid. Chile. That's crazy. And
4: I'm going to have an interview with him this Saturday uh, before the Boise State game. And in, I don't I know I got if you some, should.
3: You might I, curse you, I these I know. People. You know what?
4: I totally felt like I jinxed. I jinxed. I'm so sorry about that. But <laughs> I did get some great video from uh, Tanner's mother of him coming home from his mission. Oh, you did. And the excitement of that—that that was only three months ago. You know, know, it t- usually takes these well, all athletes quite a while to get. Back their legs in yeah, any sport, right. in football especially. So for him to come back in three months and do that really is amazing. That is, it's so amazing, cool. and Man. A, he's such a great kid, really good kid.
3: You can tell he's a great kid, and boy, he's got a lot ahead of him. He's a freshman, right? Full freshman.
4: A true freshman. He gray shirted, which means it didn't go. You know, it wasn't a red shirt, so he could kind of practice, but um, it didn't go against a red shirt, which is great. So he's a yeah, he's a true freshman. I
3: mean, it's four amazing. years. Yeah. Oh,
1: this
4: is crazy.
3: <laughs> That's crazy. Well, good job. Great, uh, great news. Congrats to Brigham Young University, and our you know our prayers go out to the Hill family, Taysom and Emily. Ah, oh, it's so crazy. We were just talking to Emily last week. Anyway, um, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to be talking with an economist, a BYU professor, about all things in the economy. China, you, I don't know if you noticed, but apparently the Chinese economy is now impacting your stock market here in the United States. Oil prices, isn't it interesting? Oil prices supposedly dropping, yet your cost of oil at the when you're filling up, it's costing you more. We'll be getting into that. Plus, I want to find out a little bit about uh, labor unions. Are they, are they still the real deal? Are they still around? Well, Joe Biden went and just spoke to uh, a few of them this last weekend for Labor Day. We'll be talking uh, all things in the economy, folks. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, we always like to uh, to bring on the experts when we're talking about things that we have no clue about. And today, who better to uh, help us today than our good friend Christian Von Lane. He is a professor here at Brigham Young University and economist, for heaven's sakes, from Princeton. He knows what he's talking about and um, before we go uh, too much farther, we wanted to have him comment on a new diet that is out of China. Uh, first of all, Christian, welcome to the show thanks
7: glad to be
3: here i didn't i don 't know if you heard this, Christian, but um, there is a new weight loss program in Hong Kong out of Hong Kong because we 're going to be talking about Chinese and the Chinese economy. This might be a great answer for how China can pick up their economy um, the it, there is a there is a new health trend in Hong Kong where women believe that if you stare straight at the sun, it will replace their need for food, and even improve their vision and sleep quality.
1: Hmm. Do you smell bacon?
3: Um, no, those are eyes. Is that is that your staring at the sun, son? Uh, your son staring at the sun, sound?
1: Yeah, that's usually what the sound it makes when I stare at the sun. So I thought it'd be good. It for, sounds like that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> How long do you stare at the sun?
1: A good fifteen minutes a day. You messed up.
3: <laughs> so the women between twenty and thirty years of age reportedly head to the Sam, Sam Ka village beach in Le Mun every evening. I don't know what city that is. And they take off their shoes and their sunglasses and then they put their phone timers on and they stand and they stare at the sunset. And they believe that by doing this, it will bring them energy into their body and they won't need to eat. OK. What do you think, Christian?
7: Uh, you know, I am not Dr. a uh, medical expert here, but I don't know if uh, – yeah. I don't know how photosynthesis works for humans. If I, it, uh, I don't think it works that way. Um, my uh, brilliant expertise in the medical field would say I would be dubious about That's, success. See, I,
3: very good answer. That's a definite good answer because – it seems like you would fry your corneas or whatever, and then you're you wouldn't want to eat, sure, because you'll be in surgery.
7: I suppose there you go. And I guess
3: it's the same thing as like if whenever you get that pang for some junk food, if you just hammer your finger, <laughs> it all goes away. It all goes away. Anyway, so uh, well, we appreciate you being here, Christian, uh, because you got to sort some stuff out for us. Let's start, I guess, with China, right? Because. What is the deal with China? Apparently, China's economy is struggling. Yeah, you buy that? Uh, I do. Yes. Teach us.
7: Uh, So, if we want to talk about China, I think it's helpful to look at things in context. Okay. So let's go back to 1978 or so. Okay. Okay. Ooh. Okay. So, so China uh, previously had been growing. Reasonably fast. Uh, But in 1978, they make a bunch of reforms. There's some changes in politics, and they start kicking off this era of very rapid Chinese growth. Right. Okay. And ever since then, you hear lots of these headlines about China growing at 8, 9, 10, 11 percent. Very, very rapid growth. Uh, I mean, this isn't surprising for a developing country. It's just rarely are developing countries that big.
3: That, yeah, enormous.
7: And so so for the longest time China's been growing and growing and growing and some people have just kind of assumed this would go on forever.
3: Yeah, because they've I mean there's so much there's so many people, there's so much
7: growth potential there. Yeah. But, but I mean, history tells us that no matter how fast a developing country grows at the outset, eventually they're going to slow down. For and, every country, right. it's a different reason. Yeah. Um, but th- we just don't have any historical precedent of some country that grows that fast forever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just – so most people expected at some point – China was going to slow down, and that's what we've been starting to see out of the recent numbers. Is China's growth is now down to seven percent, and people are even wondering, you know, can we trust these numbers? Is China's growth actually lower than this, and they're yeah. somehow manipulating the numbers to make it seem better than? Because that's is. what Trump
3: argues. Trump says you're arguing, you're, you're. He's they're overinflating their money. They're ruining the U.S. economy with changing the their money. I don't know.
7: Yeah. So, so, I mean, their their currency is a whole separate issue, right? And, yeah. And, I mean, basically they're in this situation where the economy is slowing down and the government would love to do anything to try and smooth that process because we know it's going to happen. You, right. You're going to grow, but, but you're not going to grow. 7% growth. I mean, that's still very fast. That's
3: like, what, three times the U.S. Yes.
7: Well, yes, easily. Um, So I so it's still very fast, but – What they're realizing is their previous strategy for growth is probably not sustainable. Their previous strategy was built a lot around investment, building up infrastructure, providing huge volumes of exports very inexpensively to the rest of the world. And it's just looking like you can't do that Hmm. forever. And so they're realizing they've got to switch to a growth strategy which focuses even more on their own country on building the wealth of their own citizens as opposed to just trying to export very cheap goods to the rest of the world. But that's a hard transition to make. And especially for China, which cares very much about how it's viewed in the international community, uh, they they don't want to have a very uh, awkward or uh, abrupt transition. So they've been trying to do a lot, and they've been at various points trying to intervene in housing and stock markets. And what we've seen in China lately is there was a big stock market run-up Uh, and then it crashed uh, very rapidly. And so China now is not only in this awkward, we need to adjust a lot of our development uh, in terms of economics, but we're also our efforts to try and intervene and help the economy might be backfiring and making this an even more difficult transition. Mm. And so now they're in the situation where they're slowing down. They've got Weak growth. It's clear they can't keep doing what they're doing, and on top of that, uh, they might be headed into a recession. They've got the stock market crash. They had a housing bubble burst several years ago. Uh, they're just kind of very vulnerable economically, and the government's trying to explore various options of what they can do to prop it up and prevent them from going into a full-on recession. Wow!
3: And so, I mean, they—they're actually re—they're figuring this out right now. As they go, yeah, but it's impacting our markets, I guess, because our businesses were all banking on growth forever with China,
7: sure, I mean I mean certainly, I think a lot of the turmoil we 're seeing in the stock market now is certainly uh, driven by what 's coming out of China, certainly there's businesses which do business in China, and they're going to be affected if is slowing down. Uh, But the big thing I think is just there's this huge amount of uncertainty. Mm. Like, how bad is it? Yeah. Is it, you know, is it what the official statistics say or is it far worse? Right. And we see lots of worrying signs. Uh, But if you look at the official statistics, so uh, if you look actually for a long period of time, China's official unemployment rate is like about 4% constant. It it, it never fluctuates. And some researchers have recently looked into it and said, no, it's jumped up to 10% at times. And so there's this real suspicion, are these numbers really telling us what we think? And and so I think a lot of the turmoil has been really how bad is it and how bad are we going to take it? But because there's not a ton of US exposure in terms of businesses doing business in China it's not like you see the stock market drops and then it bounces back because it's not that bad. i mean there's just yeah. lots of uncertainty that makes it hard
3: well it's interesting because the united states you know we supposedly have what what is our unemployment rate 8% 7%
7: oh uh, we're down to actually about 5.1 right
3: now 5.1% yet we everyone's like that's not the real number i mean the real number sure. is whatever 10% sure. but and then we're we're in an open society <laughs> So imagine the closed society of China to know the numbers and trust the numbers. We just don't know, do we? We don't know how overinflated or – I mean this could go – they could go from 7 percent growth and really be actually 3 percent growth and then we find out and that's what they're afraid of.
7: Yeah, I mean – At some point, you know, there's enough outside indicators that, you know, China can't lie and say they're getting double the growth they're getting. And I don't think that's the kind of exaggeration we're talking about. The bigger concern is does China have information that things are going to go bad very rapidly Uh and they're preemptively acting and the rest of the world hasn't got that information. And so markets are responding to Hmm. this worry that maybe things are going to get really bad there. Uh Well, it
3: seems like, you know, if we're a global economy Mm – there, we got to trust each other's numbers and each other's data, right? Sure. Uh, and yet we we don't know.
7: I mean it's hard. I mean certainly I, I don't want to throw China under the bus no. and say you can't trust anything no, yeah, out yeah. of there. But, but it is but, – But there are some questions and, and there is some evidence to suggest at least in some places the numbers right. m- might be uh, interpreted very l- liberally in the mm-hmm. way they're presenting them.
3: They uh, also want to succeed too and they – like we've talked about on the show before, they – they, they got to make money too, and they want to export too. And so, yeah, they don't want to let everyone down. They're not just out to trick us.
7: Sure. no, and, and it's one of those things where, right, you often kind of hear this antagonism between the U.S. or the Western world and China, but we're their biggest consumers. Yeah. And, and they're our biggest producers. So, yes, there may be some political tension at times and it's different philosophies about governance – but at the end of the day, there's this interdependency built in, and right. so you can't, can't neglect that.
3: Well, um, let's do this. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Christian von Lane from here from Brigham Young University, and he's going to uh, continue enlightening us about China. Uh, when we come back, I want to find out about our investments. I mean, stock markets, like, taking a hit. We're, we're, so where do we go? We'll be talking about that when we come back. Also, we will get into um, some other discussions around um, oil. Oil prices. Why on earth, if oil's dropping, are the costs going up for so many of us right now to buy a gallon of oil or fuel? I um, also want to find out what he thinks about uh, Joe Biden and the Labor Day uh, speeches about labor unions. Interesting stuff going on. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. More on the economy right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. Today we are talking—I uh, guess the economy, but really all things economics. Uh, Donald Trump—I you, I know you've heard of him. Christian, Dr. Christian von Lane is here, here from Brigham Young University, and as a professor uh, with research interests in macroeconomics and labor economics, he's—he's uh, he's the smart guy that we bring on the show to help us sort through all things complicated. Like some of the things Donald Trump has been saying, I'm sure you've been hearing, Christian. Have you heard of Donald Trump? Uh, I have, yes. (laughs) Good, because you hadn't heard of the Chinese diet looking at the sun.
7: You know, I was behind on that one, but I'm pretty (laughs) caught up on uh, Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump, uh,
3: he always talks about the Chinese and how they're ruining the dollar. They're destroying the, uh, the currency of the United States and i don't think most of us have a clue what he means when when he <laughs> says that how on earth are the chinese ruining the dollar
7: well so so this is i mean let's take this a little bit broader this isn't just donald trump who's talked about this i mean you heard when mitt romney ran for president he was talking about okay. china and accusing yeah. them of manipulating their currency and there's certainly been a long held uh tension between the US and China over currency. But let's let's understand what it means to have a weak or a strong okay. currency. That's good. Okay? Yeah. So if you have a weak currency, that means all other countries' exchange rates relative to yours are low. So, so
3: they can get more for your so, bucks.
7: So yeah. So so if, so China is often described as having a weak currency, and that's because for you know you, you get one Chinese yen with you know, sixteen cents American dollars. I mean, the, the ratios are low, right? And, and that's that's generally true across countries. Okay, but but generally speaking, if you have a, a low exchange rate on average, and you have a weak currency, that generally signals that your country is weak economically or more unstable. Uh, it, you generally don't want to have a weak currency uh, because it, with all the things it represents. Right. But that does mean that if you're exporting your goods that your goods are a lot cheaper compared to the imports or the prices of goods in other countries. And so it's very beneficial for exporters to have a weak currency. Now, now the, the issue with China is most countries say, we're going to let the value of our currency, we're going to let our exchange rates be determined on the open market. We'll let you know, the financial market say how strong is the U.S., how strong is the U.K., and we'll trade the currencies back and forth. And that market will tell us, OK, what's the relative value of these currencies? Right. OK. That's not how China determines the value of their currency. They're
3: they, not doing it via the open they, market. They don't do
7: it via the open market. They tend to do it much more uh, controlled. So what they say is we kind of have a reference point for what the current our currency should be relative to the U.S., and we'll mm. let it fluctuate a tiny bit around that, but it has to stay at this point. And
3: it keeps them in their advantage. And,
7: and so some people argue that even though China on the paper looks like a weak currency, they're artificially keeping it weak, even though they're much stronger right. than that, to boost their exports. And that's why there's this tension of we feel like that's doing our – uh, our exporters in the US a disservice because they're having to face quote unfair yeah. competition cuz China's forcing that exchange rate so low. So that I mean that's what China does in general. Yeah. And then there was this news a month or two ago, I guess a month ago now, where China suddenly allowed that exchange rate to drop even further.
3: Oh, so it's even weaker.
7: Yeah. Now now this is a little bit ironic because how did China do that? They said we're going to let the market determine how much our currency is worth. It just so happens that right now, because China is slowing down, the market is sour on China. Interesting. So So when they allowed for a little bit more market adjustment, their currency fell. It didn't fall that much. They still kept it from falling a ton. So this isn't like a huge movement. Um, So on the one hand, yes, they're being more participant in kind of an open market determined currency value. Right. They're, they're but not, j- but is that not just for now?
3: Just for now because they're under the gun?
7: Well, you know, certainly right now it benefits them to, quote, play by the rules. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's why there's been some cynicism coming out of uh, policy circles yeah. in Washington. It's like, well, yes, you're moving towards kind of more of the rules for currency determination would like to see, but it benefits you right now. So we're not sure right. what the real motive right. is on this. But what everyone... And I shouldn't say everyone. Most people believe China is doing this because they're still worried about their economy. They want to boost their exports. They want to do something to stimulate their struggling economy. That's why they allowed this to happen. Okay. And so when you saw them allow their currency fall, most people said China's really worried about their economy. Yeah. And that kicked off some uncertainty in stock markets trying to figure out Interesting. how bad is it really. Does, um, does, talk about then that because that's
3: a, that's a really – that's a big point, and you'll hear uh, Donald Trump hit on that. But you also hear him talk about unfair trade. Um, so you weren't even prepared to talk about this, but I know you know everything about it. So what's the what would you say just about uh, – do they have an unfair trade advantage? I guess if their prices are lower and they can always just export cheaper things, that gives an advantage.
7: Yeah, I, I think most of the conversation centers around that uh, exchange rate advantage okay. because China's allowing their currency to be so low – relative to the U.S. Um, Yeah, I mean, that certainly gives them an advantage in terms of exports. But as we've seen lately, I mean, China can't forever increase their exports. At some point, there's a cap and they're starting to hit that wall. Yeah. And and to be honest, China actually wants a stronger currency because they feel feel like it gives them more validation in the international community that we are a safe, fundamentally sound economy. We are trustworthy. You should hold our debt, hold our money as reserves, as safe things. Uh, And so they want a stronger currency. Mm -hmm. So even though they're trying to stimulate their economy right now – Most people suspect in the long run they're going to move away from this advantage because it's preventing them from having more clout. Okay, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. They're not seen as a legit open player in the economy
7: because they're holding their currency at a lower value than most people think.
3: See, that's so easy when you explain it that way, Christian. (laughs) Man, where have you been all my life? Okay, talk oil because this is another thing where supposedly oil prices are dropping like crazy, right? Like it's supposed to be down, I think. a barrel of crude was trading around $46 a barrel last week which we i mean i assumed meant that we'd all have lower prices
7: at the pump yeah so so the first thing is uh there's lots of Regional variation in prices, yeah. and so you kind of have to pay attention to the national trend, right? Okay. So, so to go from crude oil to gasoline, it has to go through a refinery, right? And you may have heard a few months ago about the issues in Indiana with one of their refineries having problems, and that meant the gas price yeah. spiked there, even though oil was quite cheap. Okay. So, so, on, so there are these local issues. Um, in general, there was that huge spike downwards in the price of gas at the end of twenty fourteen, and the price of oil at the end of twenty fourteen. We saw that in gas right. prices. We saw prices come up a little bit since then. Oil prices have since fallen again back to where they were at the bottom of that. And the gas prices we expect should be catching up fairly soon. So it just there's a little bit of a lag there, but we expect to see similarly low oil, gas prices on average as what we saw at the end of 2014 okay. and early 2015.
3: Why, why are the oil prices dropping per Barrel, what's happening globally?
7: So, this is really fun. This is really economics 101. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of fun. So, basically, there's two things going on. One is there's just more oil being produced. So, the US has had this big fracking boom. That's right. Yeah. And they're able to produce more oil. When you have more competitors selling the same oil, that price drops. drops. Yeah. So that's piece one. Piece number two is that people are demanding oil less. Because of struggling economic conditions. So especially Europe has still got some struggles. And with China slowing down, yeah. oh, there's that's less true. demand for yeah. oil. When people want oil less, demand falls, price falls. So so it's it's really just, you know, more supply of oil, less demand for it, pushing down.
3: Plus Iran now. Scale. Iran's gonna be out on the market soon. Well and-,
7: and, and so that's that's the funny thing. Normally, if if I'm a member of OPEC yeah. who has a huge say in the supply of worldwide oil, if I see prices are falling What I want to do is I want to restrict how much oil is being produced to keep those prices high. The surprising thing is they haven't done that. And so there's this question of why – I mean historically they often do this. Why have they not done this? And what we're hearing is that most members of OPEC want to. It's just Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, Iraq. They're continuing to pump out oil and sell it and they aren't showing any signs of cutting production. Do they just need the money? Well, so so it seems like it's not some, a, it's they're losing money by doing yeah, this oh, in they? the short run. Yeah. So there's there's kind of two theories. Uh one is that well if we push the price of oil so low, our new competitors will be forced out of business.
3: Oh yeah, so do it long enough that they'll do it long die, enough these guys are up. brand
7: new, they don't have a lot of reserves. We've got a lot of reserves. Which killed
3: fracking and killed a lot of the oil, you know, Work in the United States. I mean, yeah, right? if
7: you look at the uh, employment in mining, it's been in a free fall lately. Uh, oil and gas employment, it's been dropping because there's this downward pressure yeah. from the low prices. Oh, so, so one sense is they're just trying to push their competitors out of business. Another, perhaps uh, more, uh, some people call these conspiracy theories. I think that's a little extreme, but there's a notion of Saudi Arabia doesn't necessarily like all of its neighbors who produce oil. And so if you push the oil price down, you might be able to put economic pressure on countries like Iran, oh, uh, Russia or yeah. others. And so and so there's some question of, you know, is there a political motive on this as well? Uh, but certainly uh, there's a lot of countries that are clamoring for OPEC to agree to cut supply. I mean, basically everyone but those three I mentioned, I mean, Russia would love to Nigeria, Ecuador, Venezuela, Iran, Mexico, Brazil, wow. all of them want to say, no, we've got to stop. Yeah. Selling so much oil, we got to keep the prices higher. But uh, so far, no budging from Saudi Arabia.
3: So really, Saudi Arabia is the the big player. They're
7: kind of the big uh, ringleader in this, and they're refusing to budge, and uh, and that's what's creating some tension amongst their own members. Oh, oh, oh. That's
3: th- this is scary. I mean, when I grew up, you would just watch the show Dallas, <laughs> and that's what big oil looked like. Dallas. <laughs> sure. Apparently, it's the Saudis. Um, let's talk about because uh, this is one of your areas of expertise is um, just the importance of labor economics, labor unions. We just celebrated Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Biden went out, pumped up a bunch of labor unions. The world, you know, the middle class was built on your back. A lot of that. What's going on? Give us a, give us an update on labor unions because it it seems like when I was growing up, they dominated the Democratic Party. They were the key. And it almost – it seems like they're not getting the same love from the Democratic Party or they – I don't know what it is. is. I mean, it the, seems different.
7: The big change really is the fact that there's just fewer people who are in labor unions. That's it, huh? Uh, I mean when we used to have a very large manufacturing sector in the U.S., you had a lot of unions there. Yeah. Well, we have a lot smaller manufacturing sector now and a lot less unions. And And even just aside from that, there's just less – unionization in general. Is it less popular? Is it less? It's certainly less. And how how did that stop? I mean, how do you stop unions? I mean, it's basically, I mean, so it's a combination of not having new unions being formed, uh, competitive pressures on other unions, political pressures on mm. unions. And, and so, I mean, there's, there's a huge number of forces. But basically, for political, economic, competitive reasons, a lot of labor unions uh, have lost power. And it's actually interesting now. So the labor unions, uh, kind of that block of voters and political right. support, there's still – is still out there. It's still important, but the composition is changing now. It's actually much more female, as we see much more of the labor unions dominated by teachers, by oh, yeah. industries which have uh, predominantly more women working in those industries. So those the, the type of support and these people are changing right. as the type of unions we have changes as well.
3: Interesting. So
7: it's it's this interesting uh, dynamic. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, in general, labor unions just don't have the power they used to, and they still have influence, but they're not that powerhouse they were you know forty fifty years
3: ago. right, and I guess do you sense that just continues
7: i mean I think most of the damage has been done. I mean, I mean, I don't know that there's going to be a huge free fall yeah. decline. I and mean, the there future. will always be teachers. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these unions aren't necessarily coming apart at the seams. We've just seen a lot of deunionization already, and there's no evidence those are going to rush back. Right, and I guess um, is there evidence that the unions
3: actually help increase wages for? the union members. I mean, because I I remember a lot of the people I know that were members of unions were questioning the value from from the dues they have to pay to the return that they get. They were wondering if it was
7: there. It's always hard to see when you're that up close, you know, what's the benefit of this union? I feel like uh, we can talk about a lot of economic theory that says, yeah, unions will make the wages higher in general but there's a question if you force the wages higher, does that mean fewer people are hired at all? Yeah, right. And and there's, I mean a labor union can play a role if you've got an employer who has too much power and is kind of forcing its workers to take lower wages than what they're worth. Whereas if you have workers who combine and say, you know, we're going to collectively gather our power and negotiate together, then maybe we can cut away at some of yeah. your power to force us into unfair wages. And so the real question is, You know, how unfair are the wages being paid now? If they're really unfair, then maybe, yeah, labor unions can help. They might reduce employment, but maybe they can help the wages Mm. too. Talk um, really quickly, our last question for you. Middle class,
3: uh, is it really shrinking? Is the middle class evaporating and disappearing? What do you see really going on? That was one of the things Joe Biden brought up. And I think a lot of politicians are talking about we need to recover the middle class.
7: Yeah, so – Obviously, the middle class is not a technical definition. Yeah, right. It's not income between X and Y. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of reason you hear it used in political speeches because everyone identifies with the middle yeah, class I'm aside middle from class, the very right. poor, the very right. rich. Uh, even some of the quite rich consider themselves middle class, upper middle class. <laughs> and so so by most measures of trying to put that to paper, yeah, there is less of a middle class. There's more inequality, more wealth concentrated in the hands of the very rich. Um, even in some types of middle class jobs, we see a lot of middle, traditionally middle class jobs vanishing from the economy, further putting pressure on these people in the middle. You know, yeah. either they're going to have to upskill and become, you know, higher skilled workers and start to enter towards the higher end of the right. spectrum. Dual
3: income families to survive. Or
7: you get see to, yeah, to the lower end where, you know, we've got to have multiple incomes, multiple jobs. So, so certainly there's a lot of downward pressure on the middle class Uh but unless you choose to carefully define that, it's just a nice talking point. They're just,
3: they're, yeah, they're just throwing stuff out there. Man, see, Christian, you need to be here. You could be our, you could help us decipher Trump. <laughs> you could be, you could, you could be like just that, just the the gift that we enter in language from Trump, and then you tell us what it really means.
7: <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not a mind reader, so I don't know what he means necessarily.
3: <laughs> I but. don't know that he does either. Uh, Good job, Christian. Christian Vom Lane again. Remember, he's uh, here at Brigham Young University in the economics department. Is that right, man? That's cool. He's and he's ours. He's he's here for us, and we have him back regularly. Come, uh, stick with us, folks. More uh, after the break. We'll continue our discussion. Do a little Coach's corner when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, I think that's uh, one of the keys that we just learned from Professor Vom Lane. You know, there's so many things we hear about, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe in the end, most of us live our lives in a very self-centric way. So oil prices are dropping. So when is it going to impact my trip to get gas? In the end, we are all really living a very personal, real life for ourselves. And these decisions that our candidates make, they impact, no doubt about it. For example, uh, even just you know pushing EPA issues, pushing environmental protection issues, um, I mean, it, it does make a difference. It does drive certain oil prices up. This is why some of these refineries – Um, are even struggling to to make the EPA numbers that they need to make. And it might end up costing you as well. So be thinking about it as you're going and, and dealing and listening to these politicians. You may not know everything they're talking about, and they might throw out China is playing with the currency. But what you might want to figure out is what that means and what does it mean to you so that you're not just letting these politicians spin stuff. I mean it seems so much of our job in trying to choose the next president is just trying to cut through all of the spin and um it's not enough too I don't think to just because remember the the news stations they're going to just quote them and the news people they are up to date on what that means when China's just messing with currency they know what that means cuz they've studied that But the average citizen probably hasn't. So just as a just as somebody that cares, can I just challenge all of us to study a little bit more, understand a little bit better? Don't just pick your politician by their height, like we talked about last week, which so many people do. I mean, ironically, again, how come it is that the tallest candidate that is running for president out of the final two parties? How come it's the taller one that tends to win? It's problematic. Especially for Ben, who's really short. No offense.
1: I'm six foot two.
3: Yeah, he's about five four. I mean, in heels, I'm telling you. Anyway, that sounds rude.
1: Twenty twenty, Ben Wasden.
3: Twenty twenty, is
1: that your eyesight? You no, know, oh, that's when I'm running for president. Oh,
3: you're running for <laughs> you and Kanye.
1: I thought I'd let him be my running mate if he doesn't make the nomination. Oh, mercy.
3: Hey, everybody, let's just hope the world ends before 2020. Let's just go with that. Just pray for a, pray for the second coming. Um, I'm just kidding, man. You look great, and you look tall. You look taller than 5'4", that's for sure, with your heels on. Um, anyway, g- great interview there with Christian Vomley. Next hour, we got a really interesting subject. We're going to be talking about vocal fry. You know what I mean? Um, that's called vocal fry. Mm. So how do you feel about this? Um, we're going to be talking about all of the little speaking tricks we use. Throwing in the word like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, you know? Um... Vocal Fry expert will be talking to us, a professor that's been studying the thing, for heaven's sakes. We'll get into that, Dr. Mark Lieberman, next hour, along with just more of the latest headlines and uh, some of the coaches' Corner. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the next break.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
6: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Tuesday morning to you. Mmm, Is it hard to get back? Back in the swing of things. Holy cow! I'm dying. My calves are throbbing, and my lungs are full of soot. <laughs> there's wildfires yeah, in Utah. Wow!
4: Did you do you smell that? Oh yeah! It almost looks like the newsroom is, is cloudy from all the smoke. It's crazy. well, I think
3: there's someone smoking in the newsroom. Yeah, it could be. There'll which be a is big against trouble on BYU. <laughs>
4: yeah, campus wow. We to go find him.
3: Crazy time, crazy time. Um, and I was going to go on a walk today. I was so excited. Now I'm not. Right. I can't oh, go. Oh, out there. here? Yeah. yeah.
4: You'll, we'll just get a, a mask on. You'll be fine. Do
3: you think people would look at me <laughs> if I wear <laughs> the a wonder, respirator? Yeah, they'll
4: wonder what you have, some kind of illness or something. <laughs>
3: that would be a hazmat suit. Yeah,
4: I didn't know it was that bad, though, <laughs> until you get yeah. a little bit closer, and then it just really it overtakes you. That's it's why like, it's, it's a good to live fire. where we live. Right.
3: Yeah, that we don't pick up the <laughs> yep.
4: smoke from
3: Utah County. <laughs> Ben, no offense. Hey, happy literacy day today. Today we are going to be talking about um, what we call the vocal fry. I just used one right there. Um, um, the vocal fry, and in fact, let's 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 give you um, an example um, of the vocal fry um, news. Um. And now, the news. Sales of U.S. new homes recovered in April after slumping in the previous two months. But Americans are still buying new homes at a slower pace than they did a year ago.
4: Mm. (laughs) That was great. Isn't
3: that great? It's so good. Totally.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: So we'll be talking with an expert about vocal fry. You may not have ever heard of that term. Uh, Mark Liberman will be joining us, and he is going to be uh, giving us insight into different ways that we use our speech, maybe some things we want to focus on, getting rid of some of the ums, for example. Um, and those long, um, vibrating... Uh, <laughs>
4: So Jake, your son who's off the yeah. mission. Jake, just curious in Spanish, what do they say? Did they say um?
3: Do they say um in Spanish, Jake? Este, este, como, They
4: do say um. They do
3: say um. It's a universal say, yeah, thing. What do they say in German, Ben? Halt. Pardon? Halt. Halt. Halt,
1: es is, es is halt cool.
3: <laughs> he looks so goofy when he talks like that. <laughs> I don't want to be rude. But <laughs> uh. Is halt.
1: Like Halt 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 means like Stop. no it, it it means that but it also means like yeah okay so this is halt cool
3: halt cool cool cool, cool.
1: cool. I'll, I'll help you with your german yeah, after the show you're going
3: to need to do that today's literacy day so we're we're working on literacy today also um did you hear this crazy story holy cow this is just Crazy police! Uh, a wife, apparently, they arrested a 28-year-old Alaska woman and a serious wife <laughs> and a serious wife of the year candidate yesterday for allegedly stealing a state trooper's patrol car while her husband was handcuffed in the back seat. So they had arrested the husband.
4: Mm-hmm. And she was just trying to get him free,
3: and she just jumped right in there. Yeah. Joshua Wat- Watford was arrested Wednesday for reportedly failing to show up to court uh, for DUI classes that he was court-ordered to take. Police say the arresting officer got distracted while chatting with a passing driver, and Amber Watford took the opportunity to hop in the patrol car and drive off.
6: The problem in this case is the helmets could arguably...
3: Uh, halt. <laughs> That's Ben pushing buttons.
1: It, the, the label said Homer Dole, and like... Dole. And so. Maybe next
3: time just say, Toe! Okay. Um, anyway, officers found the undamaged patrol car an hour later with Joshua's handcuffs still inside. Well, at least they left the cuffs.
4: That was nice of them. But they got just, away? They really yeah. got away?
3: The, then police dogs were sent out, a helicopter. Officers were unable to find the Watfords Wednesday. So anyway, that's love.
4: True
6: love.
3: That's true love. I mean, who would do that? If your husband was being arrested, would you... Jump in the front seat, Kathy? And, no. no.
4: I don't think so. You're no. on your own, pal. Yeah, you're on your own. DUI especially. No. Yeah, no.
3: Yeah. Well, he, she probably is just used to being the designated driver. Mm-hmm. So she's like, so I she's got it, <laughs> hon. She's used to having him locked up in the back seat. Oh,
4: well, now she's going to be locked up once yeah. they get uh, oh, right? Oh,
3: busted. I hope my son's listening. Jake, if you find a wife, find one that'll steal a police car for mm-hmm.
4: you. <sighs> well, you tell your clients to ask that question, right? That's the right. Marital counseling.
3: Would you be willing to steal a police car for your husband? Great. Then you're going to – it's it's a match <laughs> made in heaven.
1: That's generally the first question I ask on dates.
3: Is it really? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it, it, it weeds them out way quick. You know what's
3: funny is that that explains a lot though, Ben, maybe why we're not married or dating or anything. Yeah. Because you may be, maybe you ought not lead with that
1: question. Well. You
3: also always I, ask I about your mole. I feel like moles. it's important. You're always like, does this mole look swollen to you? Does this mole look infected?
1: Hey, cancer's a real thing, man.
3: <laughs> Let's do the ABCs on all of the moles on my back. Um, anyway, crazy, crazy headlines. So. Love. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Let's go to our headlines to find out what's going on with Kathy Akin and the rest of the world.
4: Good morning, everyone. Tens of thousands of refugees looking for a new life in Europe entered Hungary today, despite efforts by the government to stop the human wave from the Middle East, Asia, and Africa. Germany has said it can take in a half million refugees a year for the next several years, but want other European nations to step up as well. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton is calling for a concerted global effort to assist the refugees, saying everyone should be asked to do more. According to the latest NBC News Marist poll, Bernie Sanders has opened up a nine-point lead over Clinton in New Hampshire. Their survey shows 41 percent back Sanders, 32 percent for Clinton. Sanders talked about why people like him.
1: People are saying, you know, he's right. Maybe we do have to deal with income and wealth inequality.
4: Sanders' lead is also due in part to the controversy over Clinton's private email server. According to a report out of the New York Times, a CIA review has found two emails Clinton received on her private email server were top secret at the time. Sending classified secrets to non-secure accounts outside the government is illegal. Clinton continues to deny any of the emails she sent or received were classified at the time. And the question still remains, will Vice President Joe Biden enter the Democratic presidential race?
5: You got to talk to my wife about that. (laughs) I've got to talk to my wife about that.
4: That was Biden's reaction in Pittsburgh yesterday at a Labor Day event. Summer recess is over and Congress is back in session today. Several key and controversial issues will be on the table, including votes on the Iran nuclear deal, which could take place this week, as well as talks to defund Planned Parenthood. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County clerk who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses, remains in jail. Davis was jailed last week on contempt charges. Her attorney, Roger Gannum wants a higher court ruling.
3: We hope through this first
5: step and the subsequent appeal steps we take, we will be able to get a a higher court to overturn the improper contempt order that Judge Bunning
3: entered on Thursday.
4: Republican presidential candidate Mike Huckabee will reportedly join protesters today outside the jail, where Davis is being held for a sixth straight day. Vicki Gardner, the woman who was being interviewed by Allison Parker during a live interview in Virginia on August 26th, has been released from the hospital. Parker and her cameraman, Adam Ward, were shot and killed during the live shot. Gardner was also shot and rushed into surgery. The gunman, Vester Flanagan, later died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Pope Francis today issued new rules governing annulment of marriages in the Catholic Church. The Pope wants new regulations to speed up the process for open and shut cases or annulments requested by both spouses. The new rule also removes automatic appeals. And, Matt, not sure if you're going to be watching tonight, but at the U.S. Open, Serena Williams mm. will face her sister Venus yes, in the quarterfinals. Serena looking to become just the fourth woman to win the Grand Slam of tennis. And I can't even imagine. Now, one of if Jake and one of your sons was out in a big competition. Oh. Did you pick one over the other? Oh, for sure. <laughs>
3: for sure <laughs> don't want to name names but i would also uh, i would go i would go if i was the williams father i'd mm-hmm. go tell um venus You gotta let just throw the game. Yeah, throw it. Just Mm -hmm. throw the game. Now
4: you gotta make it look at least competitive. And then maybe you know You know,
3: that's easy though in women's tennis. You just grunt.
4: Yeah. Oh so so annoying. I'll tell you, I can't watch as much as I used to because of that. Did you
3: watch yesterday?
4: I didn't. I don't know her name. Oh Oh, it was
3: Oh, it was horrible. The grunting? Yeah. I can't watch it. I thought they
4: made a real you couldn't do that anymore. So I don't I don't know. No. Either I got that wrong, or they're just letting him do it. But it's, it drives you crazy. Have
3: you ever? It's like Ben getting into his those high chair stools uh-huh. that we
4: used.
3: That's exactly what it sounds like.
4: <laughs> and it goes on for two to three hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, It's a samurai. Match. Yeah. Oh,
3: it's horrible.
4: Oh yeah, I don't think Venus has a chance. Serena, she, her serves—if she c- can get her first serve in, you can't touch it. No, no, can't touch I, that. Lots of men that couldn't touch it. Oh no. You know. I could touch it. I mean, I don't brag, but yeah, I, I, know.
3: I, I was pretty good <laughs> back in my day. I
4: was four or five. <laughs> I was a four or five.
3: <laughs> back in my day. Oh, that's crazy. That'll be cool. Is that tonight? That's, that's tonight, okay.
4: quarterfinals.
3: Okay. I'm watching it. I know what I'm doing. Oh, no, I'm not.
4: Oh, you're I've not. I've got a class I'm teaching. Oh. I'll tell you about it tomorrow. Yeah,
3: we'll talk about okay. it tomorrow. Darn it. Well done, Kathy. Uh, interesting. Maybe that little tennis serve grunt noise is really the beginning of. The vocal fry, where people talk and use long vibratory sentences like that. I think it began there, or it was a samurai thing. I'm not sure.
5: Mm.
3: See, that's a bad conversation right there we will be speaking in just a few minutes with uh professor or dr uh mark liberman will be joining us and he is an expert in this vocal fry idea now vocal fry is the low vibratory sound that comes in some people's speech particularly at the end of their sentences a la pretty much all of the kardashians they are the queens of the vocal fry we'll be coming back learning more about this interesting um I I don't know what we call it, vocal development that goes on in our conversations. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Interesting subject coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, everybody, we we need to know how to speak, right? We've got to be able to present ourselves fairly well. And there is this trend sweeping the nation called the vocal fry. You've probably heard of it from various pop stars like Kim Kardashian is a very popular example one. A vocal fry is defined as the low, vibratory sound that comes in some people's speech, particularly at the end of the sen- of their sentences. It's, it's a filler, I guess. We'll find out from the expert in just a minute. But it's something that may be impacting people's uh, trust in you. They may not like this type of speech. We, we have an example we wanted to play for you from Jill Abramson, who is the former editor of the New York Times- And this was right after she accepted that role, that job. And uh, she kind of goes off into a little vocal fry moment.
5: What does it mean to you to become the executive editor of The New York Times? It means
4: the world to me. Uh, I grew up uh, here in Manhattan, and uh, The New York Times was worshipped in my family. Do
3: you hear that? That's the vocal fry. It's like, you know, it's this it's a sentence that just seems like a run on sentence because all the words seem connected because we just keep vibrating through the whole thing. (sighs) Is it a problem? Let's find out. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Liberman, and he is an American linguist. And um, also a professor with a dual appointment at the University of Pennsylvania, as a trustee professor of phonetics in the Department of Linguistics, and as a professor in the Department of Computer and Information Sciences. He joins us now, actually, I believe, from Germany, where he is um, at a at a like a I don't know what they call them, like a conference there in Germany. Dr. Liberman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Great to have you. Thank you for letting us do this when you're supposed to be at a conference.
5: Well, um, uh, I'm just as happy to be talking to you.
3: Thank you. Talk about what is a vocal fry and where did this come from? Is this a new idea? Has this been going on forever?
5: Uh, Well, three things. Uh, First, there's actually two technically different kinds of uh, ways of talking. Uh, One is what linguists and speech pathologists call vocal fry, and the other is what they call creak, or creaky voice. And I think that what you played us in Jill Abramson's uh, clip was actually creaky voice rather than fry, technically speaking, because it was a regular vibration which just happened to be low enough in pitch that that we could hear the individual oscillations, the individual sort of creaky sounds, Hmm. sort of like the creak of a door opening. Interesting. Um, Vocal fry occurs when it's also typically rather low frequency, but the pulsations are erratic, kind of like what happens if you sprinkle some water into hot oil Uh and you hear the kind of irregular pop, 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 pop um, that happens in frying. So that's why it's called fry. Okay. It's kind of like, like frying food. And uh, they're related phenomena. They both tend to happen uh, when the vocal cords are relaxing and the pitch of the voice is getting low. And uh, so then the second thing to say is that everybody does it. I think if we were to look over recordings of uh, your old shows, we would find you doing it. Yeah. Uh, Though I haven't done that. um, You you know
3: what? You do not want to. (laughs) <laughs> believe me
5: and uh the third thing to say is that everybody has always done it that is if we look back as long as there have been recordings of the voice certainly I've looked back into the teens and 20s and 30s uh you can find people um you can find this phenomenon
1: is it's, it's a
5: natural it's, thing and it's always been around now what people are are saying are perceiving and asserting is that there's it's happening more in certain parts of the population? That in particular, there are there are women, especially maybe young women, maybe some kinds of young women, um, who are doing it more than uh, who are doing it more as a kind of fashion trend or something like that. Yeah. Now, it's always been true that some people do it more than others. Uh, either because of uh, idiosyncrasies of their voice or because of the way that they use their voice. Uh, what's not so clear, I think, is whether it's really true that uh, there's a trend spe- sweeping the nation of a change in Creek and Fry production or rather a tra- trend sweeping the nation of change in Creek and Fry awareness.
3: Yeah, maybe that that's it, huh? Hard
5: are noticing it and once you notice a kind of behavior especially a kind of behavior that annoys you then you're likely to confirm your impression that my god this is happening over and over again more and more often because of course when it when you notice it then it annoys you
3: is it i mean some are like attributing it to the kardashians cuz they they might be making it more noticeable
5: well that's certainly possible i don't think there's any evidence that that's yeah. true I'm quite sure that Jill Abramson was not imitating the Kardashian
3: <laughs> I hope not right does yes. it is, is it is it so it's been going on forever is it um, is it cultural is it are certain groups of people more likely to have it depending on where you're raised how you're raised
5: uh, it's certainly possible there are languages English is not one of them in which creaky voice is uh is something that can distinguish words, that is, a given word, you know, cat with creaky voice would, be, would mean something different than cat without creaky voice. Mm. Um, so in that sense, it's cultural. That is, it can become part of a language. Uh, but uh, um, the, the fact of the matter is that we don't actually have a very great deal of evidence about this. Um, And since people are so interested in it now, it seems like uh, it's time for more extensive studies. One thing that some colleagues of mine and I at Penn are gearing up to do is there's a collection of sociolinguistic interviews called the Philadelphia Neighborhood Corpus, which uh, people in the sociolinguistics group at Penn have been collecting since 1972. And so we're going to go back over a sample of those recordings and look to see whether uh, Creek and Fry have become more common among women in general or young women in particular uh, over that period of time.
3: Hmm. Do you know? Is it more prominent for women to use Creek and Fry, or is it is it an equal opportunity vocal? Issue.
5: Well, it's an equal opportunity vocal issue in the sense that males certainly do it. It's possible that it's, I, I, my own opinion is that the difference is mainly that it's more noticeable when women do it, and here's why. Um, what's happening with Creek in particular is that the pitch of the voice is getting low enough that the individual oscillations are coming along more slowly than what's called the flutter fusion threshold. So this is a little bit like the phenomenon that that makes a movie or a video look like continuous motion to us. It's actually a sequence of still pictures, but they come by quickly enough, say 30 a second in the case of a video, that our eyes don't resolve them as individual pictures anymore, Mm -hmm. but we see smooth motion. And something very similar happens with sound. If you play a series of clicks, um, say 10 times a second, you hear a train of clicks. If you play a series of clicks 100 times a second, what you hear is a tone, a pitch. You can't, your ear can no longer resolve the individual clicks. And the threshold for that uh, fusion, um, that acoustic fusion, is around, let's say, around 50 hertz, 50, 50 times a second. Now, lots of uh, guys may, their, the, their voice in low-pitched regions may get in, into that threshold region or below it. Um, but we, you don't notice it so much because you kind of expect their voice to be low. And there are some men whose voice is so low that they're right around or below the flutter fusion threshold all the time. Whereas women's voices are normally in their modal range, you know, well above the threshold, oh, so they I see. sound yeah. clear and well pitched. But if they suddenly drop um, so that they're below the threshold, then it's really striking. Yeah. So yeah. that at least is true. Now it, it's also conceivable that for either for physiological or cultural reasons women execute the relevant gestures more often, but I think it's not clear that that's true.
3: That's so interesting. Yeah, and um, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking again with uh, Dr. Mark Liberman, and he is uh, from the University of Pennsylvania as a trustee professor of phonetics in the Department of Linguistics there. He's also a, has a dual professorship in the Department of Computer and Information Sciences. We're going to come back. I also want to find out about other filler words, other things we use in our conversations that might fill up the space. Uh, you know, it, buy us some time. Um, we'll find out about that as well. If there are any other trends that way, stick with us, folks. We're talking about vocal fry and your speech. Finding out uh, what we do to sneak through on life when it comes to our our little interesting quirks. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend. So we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, vocal fry, which um, it's the low vibratory sound that comes in people's speech, particularly at the end of sentences. We're also talking about another form of this type of vocal fry, which is called creak. Let's give you another example. Let's listen to clip 13 and see what the good doctor has to say about that. And now, the news. Sales of U.S. new homes recovered in April after slumping in the previous two months. But Americans are still buying new homes at a slower pace than they did a year ago. <laughs> anyway, let's ask our good doctor about that. Dr. Mark Liberman is joining us. He's an American linguist um, and is also has a dual appointment at the University of Pennsylvania, where he is a trustee of professor trustee professor of phonetics, in the department of linguistics, and as a professor in the department of computer and information sciences, Dr. Liberman, what do you think of that one? Is that Creek or is that vocal fry? Uh, I think it's fake. It is fake. It is fake. Yeah, you, don't you think? The whole time I'm thinking that doesn't even sound real. That's like somebody making fun.
5: Yeah, I, it sound uh, I don't know exactly where you got it from, but it sounds like someone who's trying to produce. Uh, exa- an exaggerated form of uh, what they perceive to be creek and Fry, yeah. And I think they are successfully producing the phenomenon, but it doesn't really sound like, legit like the way anybody would legitimately talk.
3: It's um. So uh, so when we're doing this, it's it's kind of just natural to us, right? Where are we? Are we trying to mimic what we're hearing from others? Or are we just? What is it? Is it more likely to happen when we're tired? Is it? What What's the cause of vocal fry? Uh,
5: well, the, the cause is the basic nature of the mechanisms that we use to produce sound in the first place, and not just the mechanisms that we use to produce sound, but the mechanisms that pretty much all mammals use to produce sound, which is that we have these folds of tissue in our throat, in our larynx, and we uh, bring them together and... Um, build up air pressure behind them from our lungs and that air pressure forces these two folded tissue open and a puff of air comes out and the passage of that puff of air through something called the physicists called the Bernoulli effect pulls the folds of tissue back together but then the air pressure opens them up again it, and it repeats hmm. and uh, this, um, this process it, it's like this, it's the same process that's involved in making an oboe sound in making a clarinet or a saxophone sound, um, and uh, it's uh, any, any system that oscillates in that way is prone to, as you might say, squawking. That is, it's prone to any, anybody who's tried to learn to play the trumpet or learn to play the oboe or the saxophone will probably remember this phenomenon where you start trying to make a note and it works well for a while, and then suddenly it drops an octave or goes up an octave, or maybe it just goes into a, something that sounds like a Bronx cheer that isn't even regular at all. Yeah, and this is it, this just comes with the territory. It's the the nature of this kind of what uh, the physiologists would call aerodynamic myoelastic oscillation. Um, so it's it's it, in that sense it's natural and. Um, uh we've learned both, uh, we've developed through evolution and we've learned individually in our own lives um, to control our vocal folds so that this doesn't happen all the time. But when we're relaxing um, our, the, the, these folds of tissue in our throat and the air pressure is falling towards the end of a phrase, then sometimes it gets away from us. Mm. Now, it could very well be that... Some people, and as I said, um, people, you know, as that clip that you played showed, people can produce it on purpose, so it doesn't sound very natural in that case. Yeah. Um, And it could very well be that, uh, you know, as a matter of cultural change, some people are starting to do it more. Um, It's not completely clear that that's true, but it certainly could be true.
3: So one of the things you're finding is there's not a lot of research on it, like is it becoming more popular or not um, when we're talking about it, but you're finding and you're going to go start doing some research on on what's really going on with this. I assume that there are other trends. Um, the word like, we hear the word like a lot. Uh, we hear, I use the word um... A lot of people have little, you know, quirky filler words that we that we throw out there. What what, what have you learned as a linguist? And um, and do these words matter? What are we using them for? And what are we? What should we maybe be doing to maybe improve
5: our well, speaking ability? It's hard, you know. Uh, talking when you're having to make up what you're going to say and uh, bring it out in real time and sort of have your thoughts keep up with your voice and your voice keep up with your thoughts, uh, that is a hard thing to do. And it's often the case that you get partway through a phrase and you're actually not quite sure how to continue it. You're searching for the right word. You're trying to decide among some alternative ways to continue. And you've got to, so there's going to be some dead air. And uh, I, I think on the radio you abhor dead air, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. Don't like and, that. Uh,
5: and, but it's a, that, this is a human trait to abhor, to, to hate dead air. And so people tend not to just stop while they're thinking of what to do, but to try to fill up that space in some way, even though it's a short space, even though it's only a fraction of a second. One way to do it is to prolong the last syllable, Another way to do it is to uh, stick in uh or some other or um yeah. or some other filler. Now, um and uh are fillers that don't have any independent meaning aside from I'm, I'm telling you that I'm pausing while I'm thinking I haven't stopped talking. I'm going to go on, yeah. but I'm not sure how I'm going to go on. There are other fillers that people can use. You mentioned like, but people can say more... Formal-sounding things like, as it were, or so to speak, or uh, so it seems, or, you know, things that don't mean mm-hmm. a whole lot and can sort of be thrown in almost anywhere.
3: And, and I guess that's us, but there's a rhythm to it, right? I mean, like, when I say, um, I'm telling you I've got more coming, so don't jump in yet. So really, there's a, there's a rhythm between two people as we're using these.
5: Yeah, it, they, these these things absolutely convey some information. One curious thing about uh and um is that there are uh, differences in age and sex in their use. Hmm. Uh, So about a decade ago, I was interested in two opinions that most people have. So many people think that as people get older, they become more disfluent. And many people also think that men in general are more disfluent than women. And these things both might be true. Uh, But I thought, since we had a large collection of transcribed telephone speech, I thought one easy thing to do would be to look at the frequency of, uh, ah, the filled pause which was transcribed in these these conversations, as a proxy for other sorts of disfluency. And sure enough, the older people were, the more they used uh, the more frequent uh was in their conversations. And at every age, guys, men were using uh more often than women. Hmm. So I thought, well that's interesting. This is a case where the 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 common opinion turned out not to be false. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> right. Uh, but then I thought, you know, for completeness, let me look at um. So I looked at um. And it was exactly the opposite. The older oh, wow. people got, the less they used um. And at every age, women used um more than men.
3: Interesting. So that was strange. Yeah.
5: That was strange. And uh, so I wrote it up in a weblog entry and left it there for the moment. <laughs> I, I mentioned it again about a year ago at a, another conference in another country. And at a, at a coffee break, people were talking about sort of strange things they'd noticed. And it happened that there was a, since this was a dialectology conference, there was a bunch of people sitting around the table at the coffee break who had similar conversational speech collections transcribed in other languages. And so they all pulled out their laptops and started looking. And we discovered in in the first place, in British English and in Scottish English, the same phenomenon applies. It's not obvious that it should, but... You know British English is very different in some ways from American English right the same age and sex dependency was there but even more surprising in Dutch and in German and in norwegian um, where there are also there's an open vowel uh, or, uh, or uh, kind of uh, pause filler and then there's an um or um or um uh, kind of pause filler that is one that ends with a uh, an M and one that's just a, some kind of central vowel, and uh, in every single language, the same dependence on age and sex hmm. uh, emerged, which is really bizarre. We don't really have an explanation for it, but anyway, we've written the, we've written this up and submitted it for publication, and I hope it will be coming. Oh,
3: through. that's fascinating. Does does any of this is the, is our perception different? of people based on these uses? Uh, you may not, I, I don't know that we have the research yet on vocal fry. Do we see somebody that's using vocal fry? Does it impact how I esteem them or rate them? And, or if if somebody uses, um, you know, uh, uhs and ums and likes or as it were, does that impact my view of them?
5: I think that depends on who the listener is. Uh, almost everybody some pet peeves right right? there are some people who just absolutely hate uh, like these are sort of approximative likes the ones that that people that some people uh, throw in as kind of fillers and there are other people who are really rubbed along the wrong way by vocal fry especially when it's used by young women and there are some people who are who go completely nuts when they hear someone uh, ending statements with a rising intonation and other people who get really upset if someone uh i don't know uh in the not not all that long ago there were some people there might be some people who would get really upset about someone using contractions yeah saying i'm instead of i am or yeah. "don't" instead of do not that is no probably no longer with us but uh, 50 or 100 years ago, it might have been there.
3: That is, it's, so, it is. It's fascinating, though.
5: So, so, so I think basically it depends. If there are people out there who can't stand like, then if you use like, they're gonna, you're going to annoy them to that extent, just as if they, uh, if they dislike a certain kind of clothing or they dislike tattoos or they dislike a certain uh, hairstyle. Uh, you can annoy them. I mean, you, you, beyond a certain point, you can't. Right. In my opinion, you can't worry about all the ways in which you might offend somebody. You just have to try to be yourself in an honest way. And, well, that,
3: that's why I'm wondering at a conference where they're all phonetic and linguistic experts, that's got to be really scary to present a paper.
5: <laughs> Actually, people in that kind of field, in my experience, tend to be more tolerant than average.
3: Oh, are they? They're, yeah, they've heard it all. They, yeah, they're open to yeah, it.
5: They're, well, and, and they also are aware of the uh, social forces that lead to um, prejudices of this kind. Mm. I mean, some of these prejudices are have to do with regional accents. So there are some people who who don't like in in America don't like Southern accents. Some people who don't like accents from New York. I've met Southerners who don't like who who think that Yankees sound cold. Right. Um, in Britain. Uh, you know uh Americans as, uh, right george bernard shaw's uh uh play put it uh you know no englishman can open his mouth without making some other englishman hate and despise him <laughs>
2: it's true
5: so, so so part of it is this kind of uh social geographical um socioeconomic status kind of difference uh some of it is age there are uh um language changes and sometimes uh, it rubs people the wrong way uh, when a certain change takes yeah
3: place. well i appreciate it so there, there
5: are all kinds of reasons that you could bo- you could bother somebody with the way you talk
3: totally and it's and like you say it's really just them i mean it's up for interpretation and we can always give each other the benefit of the doubt uh we appreciate you again dr mark Liberman. we uh so much to learn and, and it's fun to bring on experts like yourself to help us dig a little bit deeper and understand what's, you know, this has been going on a long time and it's all basics and uh, just the function of speaking. Dr. Mark Liberman, again, the author of the book and an interesting one, vocal fry creeping in. We're still here. We're going to take a break, come back to a little coach's corner. Uh, I'm going to give you another one, another little thing that we might just throw in there as a filler. How about the word? I'm sorry. Have you ever said I'm sorry without meaning it? We'll be talking about that for a minute. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't it interesting? We use language sometimes to build trust, sometimes uh, to drive people crazy, even accidentally, like the Kardashians use the vocal fry. But here's here's a little uh, – we found a vocal fry. I don't know if this is legitimately a vocal fry and our professor is no longer on the phone. But listen to this and, and tell me if this – does this create any emotion in you? Yeah, that sounds like a vocal fry.
1: I am your voice,
3: Luke. Yeah, that's a vocal fry. That is one of the earliest vocal fries recorded uh, in, not in our galaxy, in another galaxy, far, far away. Yeah, that's a total vocal fry. How about this one? Um, Um, I just used um. And we're using those to buy space, right? But do you know somebody that uses two words, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. Sorry, so sorry. They just quickly say sorry, and you don't even know if they mean it. They just say it. Could it be that some of us use the word sorry as a filler? And it's interesting as I work with clients, a lot of them are like, oh, if they would just apologize. This person never apologizes. They never apologize. So there's some that never apologize, and there's some that are always apologizing. One of the things I would just suggest as your coach today is let's let's really think about how we use the word sorry. I believe I believe it could possibly be harmful to say sorry if you don't mean it and if you're just using it as a filler. I mean it might be just as effective to use the words uh oh, uh oh, Matt, uh oh instead of I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's, it, it's a great idea to apologize, no doubt, except if you're using the apology just to get the person to be quiet, just to end the thing and make everything go away, and you don't change your behavior, then you're just using it as a filler. I think people use it as a filler for a few reasons. Number one, it's just a habit. Most things in life, you know, just like we just make habits. And some of us have that simple little placeholder instead of the um or uh-oh busted. We just say, I'm sorry. And we may have learned it quickly. I mean, I think there are some of us, I think many times women might be more inclined to quickly say, I'm sorry, just to make the giant quit being mad, make their husband quiet. So some say it, I think, just because it's a habit. Others might be saying it because um, they think it makes others happy. You know, just like a mom kissing a boo-boo, kissing some child's knee that's hurt. Saying I'm sorry when someone's sad might just be the fastest way to, to get them to, you know, it's just, I need something to do. I need something there. And if it makes you happy that I say that, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you didn't get that date, Ben. I'm so sorry that she stood you up for the third time in a row. I'm sorry. Stuff like that. No offense, Ben. That's my life. That was this weekend. Uh, sometimes we don't know what else to say, so we say, I'm sorry. I mean, when people go to a funeral and you're at the viewing and you don't know what to say, a lot of us say, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. That's good. We just don't know what else to say. Sometimes we say it to avoid conflict. But what we might want to do is maybe get get out of the habit of just saying, I'm sorry, and instead get into your heart. If you feel sorrow and sadness for somebody – and you actually have the feeling of it then saying i'm sorry will probably matter but just saying it without the feeling people may not trust so if we could buy ourselves a little time if we could get in the get in the moment figure out what we actually are feeling about things it's it might it might help Saying it too often might make you also look like you're always submissive. You're always giving in. You're always – so I'm not saying don't say sorry. I'm saying you might want to make sure you're feeling it. You might also want to make sure you understand what's going on. I mean somebody passing away, if you know, if they had been battling cancer and in pain for the last six months, maybe I'm sorry isn't the best thing to feel that they finally passed away. Maybe what we should be feeling is relief. Maybe what we should also do is wait to find out what the person we're trying to console is actually feeling and not assume. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. I, I mean I don't want to, to be – I don't want to you know, dissuade you. I don't want to get you to not do this. I just do believe strongly that if you're using it quickly, just like I love you. You can say I love you the same way and not mean it as well. So make sure you're actually feeling it. Make sure it's it's appropriate for the moment. A lot of times, I'm sorry after you've had the conversation and understood what happened is more important than I'm sorry at the very beginning of it. Then you're informed. Then you have informed sorrow. It's powerful. That's the coach's corner. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show, in the can, done. Signed, sealed, delivered. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back and uh, do a whole new hour. Next hour, the, uh, the mom bomb, the child whisperer will be joining us. Julie Nelson. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to the show. Today, my heavens, holy cow, today is the day we are celebrating Literacy Day and Iguana Awareness Day, one of my favorite days. People need to be informed. I think you make
4: some of these up. I really do. I do
3: not. Why would I ever make up? Iguana Awareness
4: Day.
1: Iguanas need to be loved, too. (laughs) Well, people think that they're just cute little pets and then you buy them and then they have complex dietary needs. They need (laughs) complex dietary needs.
3: Then they disappear on you because they... Am I
1: the only one that reads that sheet?
3: Yes, you are. Did you read the whole thing? Yeah. That's pathetic. Hey, special shout out today. Happy birthday to Tracy Manning. She's one of our great fans uh, of the show from East Wenatchee, Washington, She turned 55 on Monday. We didn't have a show yesterday. So happy birthday birthday. to Tracy, 55 years young. She loves the show and listens to all the podcasts. Her friend Laurel called us this morning, making sure that we celebrate her. We met both of them um, when we were doing the live show during Women's Conference a few months ago. Oh, great. She loved our story about fatbergs, which are big fat, coagulated fat icebergs underneath the streets of London. (laughs) Fatbergs, because people flush <laughs> their looked, fat yeah. down the down mm-hmm. the drain there. So happy birthday, Tracy Manning, man. Fifty five, young. That's yeah, young. Yeah, that is young. And when you think about it, I mean.
4: I remember when my grandpa died; he was sixty, and I was young. I thought that was old. Oh yeah! Wow.
3: Oh yeah, but now you're like that guy's (laughs)
4: spry. That was way too young.
3: You're not saying she's that old.
4: No, I'm not at all. I'm just saying when I was young, sixty seemed old. Yeah, fifty-five, of course, much younger. But
3: did you hear? Did you hear about what the West Point cadets were doing? I did. Those kids, a pillow fight at the United States Military Academy at West Point, turned so violent that it caused concussions in 24 cadets that no. no! no! <laughs> there's some audio of cadets running and the superintendent of the school told nbc on saturday you know it wasn't even just that it got worse a lot of bad stuff was going on for example um, uh, i almost read something else that was totally inappropriate um, the august 20th pillow fight it's an annual tradition at the prestigious academy and a way for first-year cadets to have some fun, you know, to let some of that energy out. Sure, yeah. But, because um, they've been in rigorous training all month. But it also resulted in some serious injuries, like a broken nose. <laughs> wow. That
4: sounded like one of the women. Is that a woman?
3: Well, if you broke your nose <laughs> in a pillow fight, that's what it sounds like. A dislocated shoulder, for example. Oh. No! 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 <laughs> yeah, the... These don't seem to go, Ben. With what I'm reading,
1: <laughs> that's how I'd react. I'm just a
3: hairline cheekbone fracture. What would that sound
1: like? <sighs> that is hell.
3: That sounds like a herd of animals. Is this the fight?
4: Well, something was in the pillowcases, correct?
3: Yeah, apparently.
4: Other than a pillow, had hard objects.
3: Like what? Like batteries know. in the sock? That's what I used to use.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Did your kids do pillow fights? Yeah. All the time?
3: And then I'm like, don't make me get a sock with batteries. <laughs> and then all the kids would stop fighting. That would hurt. I was like a party pooper.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, Dad, let's have Come a pillow on. fight. And they'd hit me in the face once and I'm like, Marty, grab, grab me some batteries. <laughs> These kids need a lesson. And then the kids would always go to bed crying. I don't know why.
4: I don't know. You're a mean dad. It I'm sounds a mean
3: like. dad. <laughs> anyway, yeah, some hard objects were actually placed mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. I guess they were not he- a good idea. They put their helmets in their pillowcases. Mm-hmm. So you're being hit with a pillowcase and a helmet, which takes us back to those two punks, those two kids that hit that referee.
4: Yeah, I'm going to talk about that. That was that makes Did me you see so mad. Did yeah. you see it? Oh, wow. saw it
3: like 50 times. Yeah, not good. Those kids, not they, they need to be in trouble. But I think that entire team.
4: Yep. Well, the coach, I think. The whole thing for the year, you know, they need to lose to the, the year. Always to the top, right? The coach yeah. needs You're to. You're a monster. Man.
3: Yeah, you notice Ben's always like a about a minute uh, late.
1: No, <laughs> what?
3: That was really good. You're a monster. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, Anyway, let's go to the headlines, find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Kathy?
4: Congress is back in session today after the summer recess. On the table this week will be several issues to be dealt with, including votes on the Iran nuclear deal, as well as talks to defend Planned Parenthood. The accord with Iran is expected to pass since enough Democrats have agreed to vote for it and secure a veto from President Obama. According to a report out of the New York Times, two emails Hillary Clinton received on her private email server were top secret at the time. Sending classified secrets to non-secure accounts outside the government is illegal. Yesterday, Clinton again said she did not receive or send any information that was marked classified at the time. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders has opened up a nine-point lead over Clinton in New Hampshire, according to the latest NBC News Marist poll.
1: People are saying, you know, he's right. Maybe we do have to deal with income and wealth inequality.
4: That was Sanders yesterday. The survey shows Sanders at 41 percent, 32 percent for Clinton. Vice President Joe Biden, who has yet to announce whether or not he's running, gets 16 percent of the vote. From that same poll in New Hampshire, Donald Trump comes in with 28 percent, followed by John Kasich at 12 percent, then Carson at 11 The Kentucky County clerk who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses is asking her state's governor to set her free as she enters her sixth day in jail. Kim Davis was jailed last week on contempt charges. Republican presidential nominee John Kasich had this to say about the matter.
6: I respect the fact that this lady doesn't agree, but she's also a government employee.
5: She's not running a church. I think she has to comply
4: Two other GOP candidates, Mike Huckabee and Ted Cruz, plan on meeting with Davis sometime today. Several hundred police officers from around the country attended the funeral of Joe Glennowitz yesterday. The officer killed while chasing three suspects on foot in northern Illinois. Michael Glennowitz talked about his brother.
5: When we were growing up, we all knew Joe was a hero, but now the nation knows he's a hero.
4: The manhunt continues for the three suspects. Meanwhile, two Houston police officers were involved in a shootout this morning after they were shot at. The officers returned fire and two suspects are now in custody. Two Texas high school players were suspended from school after charging after a referee and knocking him to the ground during a football game Friday night. Police yesterday said they're investigating the incident. Here's criminal defense attorney James Reeve.
6: The problem in this case is the helmets could arguably Uh, be considered a weapon if the helmet's considered a weapon that will make it a felony in this case
4: the players from john jay high school were immediately ejected from the game and i don't know about you but if that were one of my boys Mm. wow grab him by the helmet and kick him out of there and yeah you're grounded. I would
3: take that <laughs> helmet off least. and use it as a weapon.
4: Oh man, that, I have never seen no, anything like crazy. that. That was so thuggish that I was just shocked. I was well, shocked. When
3: there, I guess there had already been other ejections mm-hmm. in the game Two, earlier, I believe. Uh huh. So,
4: and I don't know if it was because of that particular yeah. referee they went after, or it was just the closest one that they, you know, figured they had to make a statement. But that was, you know, they should really be banned from ever playing high school football again.
3: Totally. Yeah. Well, and and I even think you got to make it a. Big deal, mm-hmm. like so, almost the entire team.
4: Yep, it could be it because could be. it's um, or maybe the maybe the uh, uh, the principal, you know. Yeah, or the coach the whole is, team. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, somebody that could, could come down.
3: Yeah, that's just that's just seriously. Once you're hitting the officials, yep, it's over.
4: Oh, the one. I mean, the one. But then the second one, that oh, kind of like went in and spared. Him? That was I could. I was just. I just couldn't even believe it. I was speechless. Oh, I Honestly. really was. That was amazing. Well,
3: and when you think about it, too, what really could parents do? But That's why the, it needs to be a police thing. Like yeah. The police have got right. to get involved. Somebody's right. got to get involved because you, even if the parents grounded them,
4: mm-hmm.
3: that's not enough. It's not enough.
4: Well, when you see that two players were already suspended before that happened, you just wonder what the culture is on that team. You really oh, wonder yeah. what the coach. I don't know. I'm not saying it's the coach's fault per se, but if there's that kind of atmosphere, that's not good. Right. It's not good. I, I, enough.
3: I remember the day you used to be afraid of your coach. Oh yeah. But they didn't seem now like the referee they were afraid is afraid of, their of their coach, coach. the players. Right. That's just not right. You can't turn your back on a player. mm I mean, I can't turn my back on Ben. I know. But that's because he'll just throw For some weird audio
4: reasons. in. Yeah. Uh,
3: anyway. It's a monster. Monster.
4: You're a monster.
3: Yep. Well done, Ben. Well, there you have it, my friends. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue a discussion um, with our one of our experts, Julie Nelson, who is what we call the bomb mom, the child whisperer. She's supposed to be in studio with us sometime uh, this morning talking to us about our kids. And uh, we'll be getting in deep on some parenting topics Stick with us, my friends. You know, so much to learn. We bring them to this crazy earth, and then they go out and hit a ref with a cheap shot? Mm. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us today, Julie K. Nelson, wife, mother of five children, author of the book Parenting with Spiritual Power and the new book. What's it called, Julie?
0: Oh, gosh. It is. Um, it's hard keep to. It, keep it, it's such a long title. It's, such,
3: it's keep, a great book. Keep
0: it real and grab a plunger 25 tips for surviving parenthood.
3: Love it. Keep it real and grab a plunger. She's what we call the bomb mom and the child whisperer, and she's here today. You can go to her website, by the way, SpoonfulOfParenting.com. Today, you're going to teach us about uh, what we could do as parents to get our, our children going in this new year so they'll be more successful.
0: Yeah. Uh, school's on our mind. We've just put our schools all our kids back to school. Yes. School started. And now that we have them all gone, or many of oh, them gone, whoa, what a relief.
3: Heaven.
0: Party time. <laughs> right? So we yeah. have all day to think about uh, what are we going to do with those little critters when they come home?
3: Well, uh
0: And, you know, it has weigh on our mind of how will they do in school when they get there. Right. And how can they do well socially, emotionally, academically, all the the whole package. That's
3: it because it's like mine will play sports right now. They're playing sports and then – but they got to do their homework and – but then we don't necessarily even coach them spiritually or socially. I mean all of that's not part of school. No, we kind of we've broken it off as being different, but mm-hmm. we've got to make sure we're fixing or working on all of the areas.
0: All of the areas, and um, school really does weigh heavily on the academics, yeah. and really does neglect a lot of the emotional. But studies have found that if a child does not do well emotionally, they will not be successful academically. They all it all fits together. Yeah, I believe that. You just need to feel confident in all areas. Not that you're going to be a superstar in all areas, but at least feel that I'm good enough. I can. I I have strengths. Yeah. Not that I'm as good as my friend who does football super well or my other friend who's a music major, but that I can do well enough in the areas that I am, right. you know, I am interested in and and to build that package in that child that they can do well. And so it's a self-discovery um, time of life and we need to help them to feel good enough in, in many areas and across many aspects.
3: This is one of my favorite times of year because there's it's like a natural chance to set goals, to kind of get restarted everything's new. We go get new yeah. clothes. We get new, you know, We like a, in fact, did you see Ben's got the cutest little pencil box you've ever seen with a brand new binder and new pencils. He's been sharpening them all morning.
1: Couldn't help myself at the store.
3: They're, did you get a
0: Star Wars backpack too? Uh,
3: it's,
1: oh, that was a surprise. Well, they don't come in purple. <laughs> so. That's true.
3: He loves purple. Squeaking you know why? Shoes. Donny Osmond. Yes. Purple yes, socks. Yes, yes,
0: yes. We do. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's, Summer is loosey-goosey. We don't have a lot of rhythm. We don't have a lot of schedule. It's kind of like, you know, go to bed when you want to, wake up when you want to with the kids, you know, at least in my house. Oh, I don't absolutely. know. Maybe other people's houses. Yeah. They, no. have, they get up at six o'clock still. But now is the time to start setting some goals and having some schedule. Yeah. And it feels good again to have a rhythm. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: This is a great time. Yeah. In fact, our kids even went to bed earlier yesterday than ever, but it was still like 10. It was horrible. Yeah. We'll get well, It
0: was Labor Day, you know. Yeah. We all stood up a little bit later. Well,
3: they also had to massage my calves because <laughs> we went hiking. Okay, come massage daddy's calves. <laughs> hey, um, talk about uh, – so what's the well, – if the we're going to work on yeah. it, what if, do we it, work well, on?
0: If there's one thing, parents, that you can do – I mean, there's all – we talk about all these different, different areas. Yes, having a schedule is super important. But within that schedule, if you could embed one thing – what's the magic bullet, Matt? The what, one what thing. What is the one thing? Well, here it is. This is what research has found time and time again. Here is the one thing, parents. If you could just concentrate on this, the, you, you'll you be all, all will be well. And surprising it is just – Every night or as often as you can, but but aim for every night reading with your child hmm. for recreation. Reading. Not doing math problems. That doesn't count for reading. Yeah. Yeah, but reading to them. And especially in the birth through six time of their life to get them ready for kindergarten. Because uh, studies have found that if you can have a child with kindergarten readiness skills, the literacy, the phonemic awareness, right. um, then they are, they are in kindergarten capable Of mastering all areas, the social, the emotional, um, and academic, that will propel them into uh, third grade, which by reading on level by third grade is the magic bullet. Because you know the No Child Left Behind Act was aimed for third grade. If you read proficiently by third grade on level, then most likely you'll graduate from high school. Wow. if you graduate from high school, most likely you will be able to, you know, be successful in life. You yeah. know, in many, many areas, you probably go on to having some kind of advanced degrees or skills, get a job, be financially sound. Um, so high school is kind of like the, the the thing we want want to aim for. And so if we can get them to third grade, then if they're readers by third grade, then they'll probably stay in school and hmm. be successful. But if they don't then most likely they have this thing called the Matthews effect where they will decline steadily and more likely those children who are not reading by third grade will drop out of high school. Why was and that never named? be on never be on read on level.
3: Why was that named after me? <laughs> <laughs> the Matthew effect?
0: Because, because probably they all, you know, saw Did the they decline know the decline in high school <laughs> and said
3: They have no there idea. You right there you go. There you go. Name
0: are. it after him. So oh, we want them then to that especially by third grade. We yeah. want them to be able to uh, be on on level, right? Is that your phone? Oh, gosh. It's all right. I'm just in demand.
3: You know, it's always fun to hear a ringtone because the ringtone tells so much about you.
0: Yeah.
3: Yours is very joyful. It's the groovy. Circus. It's like a circus. It's the groovy. But one of the things that you brought up that's so, I think, uh, interesting is reading isn't just – it's not just for leisure, but it feels like it's leisure. But you could – you you have to take time to read. Yeah. So – you're spending time with your kids, but then you're going to bring up social issues, spiritual issues. All these issues end up coming up in the book.
0: Because, yes, they, they're, they're part of the, the, the text. It's, it's, this, it's the plot. It's the story. It's the issues that the people are dealing with in the book. Yeah. They're dealing with all these different aspects we just talked about, social, emotional, spiritual. And so as you read these topics, you, again, it just lends itself to discussion. That's well, great. what would you do if you were in this situation? Well, how did this character solve this problem? And then if they're problem solvers in the story, the kids can be problem solvers in life. Love it. Um, So really important. There's some really great statistics here. Um, One of them is that an international study of 150,000 fourth graders whose parents often read to them scored 30 points higher than their peers who were only sometimes read to. Oh, wow. Um, Another breakdown of of, uh, reading outside of home uh, or outside of school in the home correlated with the, the academic status. In other words... As they were tested in school on reading tests, on standardized reading reading tests, those who were read to at home for two minutes a day, they scored in the 30th percentile of reading. Those who were read to five minutes a day scored in the 50th percentile. Those who are read to 10 minutes a day scored in the 70th percentile. And those who are read for 20 minutes a day scored in the 90th percentile. And I just say, who wants their child to to graduate with an A? Well, a 90th is an A minus, close enough. Right. If you want your child to graduate with an A, then 20 minutes is kind of like that's the magic number. And as you hear about reading programs throughout the nation, it always is the 20 minutes, read for 20 minutes. Some of them will say 30 minutes as they get older. Yeah. But minimum 20 minutes. And it correlates with the grade.
3: And what's 20 minutes? Yeah. I mean, you can't do anything with a kid in less than 20 minutes
0: Well because par- they play. They I, a lot- have, I have a lot of parents who, who balk at that and say, I cannot squeeze five more minutes out of my day. And so we talk about how to put that 20 minutes into their day. Um, one of the things I say to them is um, if you have more than one child – I can't read twenty minutes with this child. Twenty right, minutes—that right. would be an hour. Read together. So you read together, and they're like, "Yeah, but I have a you know a high schooler, and I have a you know a fourth grader." Yes, read the the more advanced text to the highest child, and the youngest one will play up. Play up. Always play up your kids. Oh, I, we used to—I
3: loved it. In fact, we used to do like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And my kids would be mesmerized.
0: Or middle, you know, in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But kids will play up and they don't have to have picture readers right. um, for younger ones. Uh, second graders can listen. And if you have older kids, you know, you know, switch it up a little bit. Sometimes do some picture books. But even the older kids enjoy a picture book once now and then. But novels, you know, chapter books, yeah. younger kids can do it. I also say, you know, it doesn't have to be you reading all the time. Many parents are carpooling and, the, and they're driving their kids to right. soccer practice or to school. Put a book on tape. I don't call them book on tapes anymore. They call them, you know. Uh, yeah, what do
3: they call them? Audio books. Yeah, audio yes. books.
0: Yes. Yeah, and listen to it in the car. Don't have the TV on in the car.
3: Right. Use that
0: as your prime. By the way, time. that line
3: you just said, don't have the TV on in the car. That is such a weird statement. <laughs> like, but everyone we didn't has grow with,
0: yeah we didn't grow up with that, and so i 'm um, wondering about the the literacy that we 're raising with our kids, where it 's now all delivered through t v oh yeah um or through you know books that are all um, e readers you know where there 's not that human interaction because if we take the human interaction away from it, the socio emotional connection with your with your parent, then they 're not learning those skills as well no, right. and we want, we just at the top of the of this show, we talked about how the child also needs to have leadership. Social, emotional skills, and maturity. They don't get that through interaction with an electronic device.
3: So, you're saying of all the things we could be doing to help our children the most statistically, reading with them anywhere really from five to 20 minutes is going to help.
0: Yeah. And do anything you can because any amount is going to help. Oh, yeah. But uh, the, the at least if you could do 20 minutes and together. And, and another thing I talk about is do you ever have time in the kitchen? Are you ever preparing meals? If you do, invite your child in and have your child read to you yeah. for a change. It it's doesn't have to be time. you. And maybe right. your child's in first grade and they're not much of a reader, but if they just sit there and, and just kind of talk about the book and the, the pictures for 20 minutes, that's oh, literacy that's as well. huge. Yeah.
3: We're talking uh, with Julie K. Nelson from the website A Spoonful of com. She is the bomb mom and the child whisperer helping us relate and relax a little bit and connect to our kids. Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back more with Julie after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. <music> Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Julie Nelson's joining us uh, from the website A Spoonful of com, And Julie is a, uh, she works at, the, at Utah Valley University teaching classes as in applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills. And she also um, is writing on every major outlet. Holy cow. Parents.com, Wall Street Journal. She's everywhere. And she's the child whisperer. Now, talk to me. You you say we need to read to our young kids, but what are we supposed to do with the old kids to give them a shot? The older ones. Yeah, it's the it's teens. easy.
0: It's easier to read with the younger ones because as a babe you know, as babies they come out and we're like, they're so cute and cuddly and they're oh, in God. our arms and we just sing songs right. to them and we cuddle and we read little, you know, nursery rhymes and stuff. And yes, that is super important. Parents do that for the first few years because it's important for language acquisition, for optimal brain development. We're bring we're we're, we're building those neural pathways. So read to them every day. Sing songs. They stores information. It, it creates a word bank for them. So that, then they, when they do talk and they do write, they have a, a lot of words inside their heads because you've stored it there. Right. Um, but then they found that as kids get older that um, we don't read to them as much. It's like, okay, that's the teacher's job. Yeah. And they have so much homework and they have soccer practice and ballet. There's no time for reading. And besides, they can read by themselves. Aren't they reading you know, just them to the room? They should be
3: reading by themselves. You know, we
0: count homework as reading. Right. You know, and whoever wants to do that. Well,
3: and a lot of them read. At on their app, mm-hmm. like they have to read how to play the next game. They have to read. <laughs> That's what my kids. They tell read me. a lot of texts. I am reading. Yeah, I read dozens of texts a minute, Dad.
0: Yeah, they're reading all day long, right? All those right. those really well crafted texts. <laughs> uh, well, you know, he, when that when this happens is is that uh, then they. Realize that reading, then for the next, like, let's say, junior high and high school and secondary ed, um, is a chore and a labor. And yeah. who wants to do that? Nobody. And even in college, I ask my college students, you know, who, who's reading a book right now for pleasure? Nobody is. I know. And then we create illiterate adults, right? Because they're done reading. Once they're done with school, they're done reading. Because I forgot what reading for pleasure meant. Yeah. Um, and so. As children advance through you know, elementary school and go on to junior and high school, super important that we continue to read um, because rates of reading drops for pleasure, drop, as children leave elementary school. It's, uh, studies say that 54% of fourth graders read outside of school for pleasure every day, but then it goes down to 19% by the 12th grade.
3: Oh, wow. And
0: parents not reading with them is a contributing factor for this decline. Because we don't assume responsibility for reading anymore because, yeah, well, they can, they're readers. Why read to them? Can I just recommend a really excellent book? Yeah. It is called The Read Aloud Handbook by Dr- Jim Treleese and um i can 't more highly recommend a book to anybody the read aloud handbook
3: and what is that
0: At last name is t r e l e a s c he 's a read a parenting reading expert, and um, this book's been around for a lot of lot of years it 's got lots of different additions to it, and it talks to you about why to read. Um, supporting your child uh, as you read together. And it has um, just every bit of of motivation for a parent, financial success to build your child up, how much money they'll make. I mean, he's got all these statistics in there. Um, If your child has disabilities, how this will help. Um, It talks about just brain um, development and um, and the, uh, the perils of TV. Um, not the TV's bad, but it, like for instance, one study showed that they they had um, little. I think it was preschoolers watching TV cartoons, and they had them. They turned off the volume, and they showed one that, um, and they put different words on. Oh, you know they they didn't they match yeah. up, and the kids had no idea that it was anything different, <laughs> because they're not thinking, they're not processing, they're just Real passively yeah. passively watching.
2: Interesting.
3: And can
0: you imagine how their brains are trying to mush when yeah. they're watching cartoons? What is this? Right. Yeah. And so um, reading really engages the brain. It, it challenges the brain. Um, and it allows
3: you to be creative. It allows you to mm-hmm. tie, the, tie the the knots, fill in the gaps.
0: Yes, absolutely. So the parent needs to be participating. Um, so here's the thing. Another study showed that children who were literate, who kept on reading, who were very, very proficient in reading. And we know, Matt, that reading really sets the stage for uh for success in all areas, yeah. if you can read, oh, you're going to yeah. do well in history, right? In math, because you have to be able to read and gonna, write in all these yeah, areas and
3: assimilate and figure out what it means yeah. and be, think cre- cr- critically and focus.
0: Absolutely, and the and the, the attention span that it t- that it requires. Oh, yeah. I mean, my husband here's a joke. You know, a lot of people will say, "Well, I don't want to turn, in, I don't want to be an English major. I don't want to be a writer because I'm not really good at it." So I'll go into mathematics, or I'll go into like <laughs> my husband said, accounting. Guess what he does all day? He writes, oh, reports. Yeah. So you, you're going to be literate. and oh. <laughs> Even computer software people, they write. Yeah. You know, and so you, you, you have to be basically readers and writers, no matter what you choose to do for your profession. Sure. Um, but this one study showed that just simply they went through the, the homes and counted the number of print material. They didn't even watch if anyone was reading anything. Or writing anything, but they just counted magazines, number of magazines, numbers of of period of of newspapers, books, you know, and the 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 fa- the homes of course that had just more print material lying around. Yeah, the kids were h- highly literate, meaning that you are going to drowned your child in literacy if it's around you if it's sitting in front of you you're going to be more likely to pick it up that's right most likely what happens is we have this these homes that have no print material but a but huge screen TVs in every room <laughs> sure. well what's more accessible oh
3: yeah the the remote a button. The, the button right. that, yeah
0: what do you, what are your children going to pick
3: that's so that's true. so much
0: easier to push a button than pick up a book and so having books everywhere in the kitchen when i was growing up we had um the bottom drawer in the kitchen was our toy drawer that had little books and little toys and stuff. So mom was – while she was preparing meals, we would pull out the drawer and be playing and reading and things yeah. and coloring with this book. Unbelievable. Um, just having an – and even in the bathroom.
3: Oh, that's the heavens. That is the library Yes, our house. that's
0: right. In the to- tub, oh, on the yeah. toilet. Have it there in their room on shelves that they can access. <laughs> have it in the living room where they can see it. And it's calling to them. Oh,
3: yeah. Well, what does this mean? So I, I have a son right here. Jake is here in the studio. And his room is a mess. Mm-hmm. And 80% of the mess are his books. He has probably 60 books on his floor that he's going through. Just decide which ones he needs to get rid of. Voracious reader, but he's a messy reader.
0: Bravo. So I, I love there, it. Kudos books, to my son. Books everywhere. Isn't that cool? So what are some of your favorite books? Come series, over here, Tell us some of your favorites. He's
3: got one right now because he loves. We
0: need to, another thing that parents need to do is identify the genre that the child loves. Typically by sixth grade, they're going to start having a taste in books. Yeah. And if you can identify, is it fantasy? Is it going to be, you know, realistic fiction? Find out what that is and then foster. It's like your child starts craving, you know, chicken wings. He's, he well, craves gonna,
3: something that's weird. You're going to buy
0: chicken wings. You know, yeah. you're going to buy what they like. So find out what they like and then foster that through junior high and high school. So what are your favorites?
5: I really like uh, biographies. Biographies, nonfiction, sports,
3: history. What book are you reading right now that you comment on about 20 times a day? Uh, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. He likes all of Malcolm Gladwell's work. Mm-hmm. No, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And what else? Anything, any other books? Uh, I really like the biography on Vince Lombardi.
0: Mm. Yeah, he likes really sports
3: bio, bios. Yeah, what else? Um, he's
0: a stud that way. Then, of course, nonfiction. you loved Unbroken.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, one I mean, of my top favorites because it has
0: sports as well as war and biography. Mm-hmm. And that everything. was one of the
3: first movies when he came home from his mission, he had to see. Yeah, and I like the book better.
0: Oh, the book's way better. Yeah. yeah,
3: and he's read the book. Yeah, I didn't know there was a book.
0: You know, I'm the same way. I love biographies and historical fiction and stories about people that do incredible are incredible odds. But um, he, but he got into
3: it, and we got to wrap it up soon. But he got into it young. He just. He knew what he liked, and he just started getting books. Well, actually, my wife would take the kids, and they'd all get the books at the library that they love – and he, he's been doing this forever.
0: Well, then you're – see what a good parent you are, Matt. You did it right. It's, it's, you did I it right. married the right woman is you what You did, did it right. See, Jake's a great young man. He's a great and young he's man. And he's a prime looking. example of what you do. The one single thing single. you can do is read to them and find what they love. Find the taste. Identify that genre and then go and get books. And librarians can help you. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the last thing is to be be a reader yourself. So have your kids see you reading for pleasure and talking about what you love. Like we talk about movies. Oh, have you seen the last movie? Oh, oh the movie it was this and we talk about we do these movie talk-ups all the time what you've seen well why not say what's the latest book you've read over the dinner table so and talk about how on uh, the plot and how much you love it and then you know it's like a movie trailer except for it's for books see yeah
3: you did it again yeah. Julie great advice
0: even so, got Jake become... involved. Mm-hmm.
3: That's so mm-hmm. awesome. He didn't know he was going to be on air today. <laughs> probably would have dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, oh, that's right. he, he's, he's looking good. We're going to take a break. Julie, thanks for being hey, here. Thank you. Everybody, go check out uh, the website, a spoonfulofparenting.com, and her new book, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. Julie K. Nelson, the Child Whisperer. We'll be right back. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show little calliope. Is that what that is? Music for you. Going down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, Spencer and Jerome.
6: Hey, would you get me a ginger ale in the saloon there?
3: <laughs> you want yourself some sarsaparilla?
6: Absolutely. I love sarsaparilla.
3: I do, too. Man, where did that go? Sarsaparilla. I Man, I mean, that's like, seriously, that's the best beverage on earth. From the 20s. From the 20s. Hey, um, guys, how are you? What well, did you,
2: what did you do this weekend? Anything? See. Did you do anything
3: this weekend?
2: It was a busy weekend, obviously game day. But Tanner <gasps> Mangum was on Sports Center in Studio B. Was there a game Sunday morning? And then, of course, Labor Day, recapping it all live. Oh my heavens! It, yeah, it was bittersweet, and we brought I that know. down quite a bit That's sad. Taysom Hill out today. That is our discussion. Is what are his options, and what's the update after an MRI uh, yesterday? Yeah. what does it mean? For him this season, ah, uh, what would you do? Listen, okay, let's let's talk through his situation. He's married. Yeah, he had a fantastic internship this summer, successfully with a venture capitalist man firm. Yeah, if I'm him, if I'm him, I've been hurt three times. I'm married. I got a good setup. Yeah. Emily's How much great. do I want to play in the NFL or not? That's the question. Because yeah. I, I think I go, you know what? I just want to see if I can do it at the next level or not. Because he has options. He ha- we think he has four options. We're going to break down each of okay, them cool. coming up on the show. That's a great discussion. But if I'm him, I go, I either go. I just either quit football or I try and go to the NFL. He's mm. been injured three times. I season know. Season ending. And what's to say it wouldn't be a fourth? Like, you don't want that. Well, yeah. But, but y- the y- frustration y- and all the rehab. Oh, man. yeah.
3: No, totally. I, I would just... I'd be devastated. I'm sure he is. He's such a good guy. But luckily he's got other options too, right?
2: Yes. I if mean, football were his only thing yeah. and he was single and blah, blah, he'd be, he'd be probably working to get back next year. But mm. And he still might be. He that. might be. He still might do that. What, what do about
3: Tanner ready? Mangum? Holy cow. Thrust into it all. Wow.
6: The big question mark now is what can he do in an entire game in his first start yeah. at home when it's all about him? Mm -hmm. there's a difference between coming in in relief and, you know, Nebraska kind of like, who is this guy? We didn't game plan for him. What are they going to try and do? Well, now he's got a full week of preparation, and Boise State knows they've got a full week of defensive preparation to kind of look at Tanner Mangum, and they recruited him. They did? Oh, he is from up up there. That's right. They they have an idea of what to expect from him and the type of style and game that he brings. Yeah. So that— they so. It's, this is, week is just crazy because there are so many different storylines, ranging from both quarterbacks, and it's hard to process it all. But and still, no byu is going to play a game on Saturday, oh.
2: and, and fans expect because oh. BYU won at Nebraska to win this week. Boise State's a good team. I, I and the line right now is I think Boise State by three. Really?
3: Yeah. Holy cow! And, and what's what? What's your gut feel on Tanner?
2: That he's a gamer and he's going to win a lot of games here, but I I want to give him a learning curve. He's a true freshman. Yeah, Granted, three months
3: ago he was in Chile for this crying isn't, out loud. This
2: isn't a pre uh, you know a, a kid that's straight out of high school. This is a guy that gray shirted, which means he's sort of on the team, um, but he's not officially. Um, <laughs> but you don't take twelve credits, but you kind of hang out and lift and work out and whatever. So he did that before his mission, wasn't a redshirt. So he's a true freshman after his mission. He was on his mission 96, 97 days ago. Holy um, let's give the kid some time to develop. Even it might not Ty be Detmer. right away.
6: Even Ty Detmer had growing pains. New, oh, no sure.
2: true freshman quarterback at BYU has come in and just been amazing. Nobody. Ty Detmer, uh, Drew Miller, a kid in the late 90s. Uh, John Beck
6: struggled as a Matt true freshman. Matt Berry,
2: Jake Heaps. None of these guys... Just crushed it from the beginning. Now, Tanner Mangum, in my opinion, is the most prepared true freshman quarterback BYU's ever thrown out there. But he's playing ranked Boise State, UCLA on the road, which will be a top 10 team most likely. Media circus in town. at Michigan. I'm trying to think of a harder situation for a true freshman to be thrown into. So let's just give him a little bit (laughs) of time. No, yeah, for sure.
3: I mean, and you just threw one of the top three passes ever. It's play
2: number three in BOA history to me. Yeah. Top five for
3: sure. Yeah, top five. And that's what you're coming off.
2: Mm. So it's, it's an interesting wow. time right now. I mean, my,
3: I've got my son here. He's a freshman, and, you know, he doesn't have half that to worry about. He's just got to get married in a year.
2: He's like, I'm taking American heritage. Yeah. That's, exactly. that's hard enough for me. That's exactly. Right. Let alone the Boys State defense.
3: You guys, that's going to be a good show. You've already been hashing it, though, left and right.
2: Yeah, we had the first sit-down extended interview with Mr. Tanner Mangum as well. That aired uh, yesterday. If you missed that, we tweeted it out, uh, at BYU Sports Nation. Oh, my heavens. He's, he's poised. He's mature. He's fantastic. I just don't know that now is the time to uh, think that BYU is going to make this you know, 11-game run of, yeah. of wins. You right. know, they, I, I think BYU is still going to have a good season. It just changes a little what bit. What
6: is good, though, with altered expectations? Yeah.
2: Well, and can you alter the expectations of BYU
6: fans? Good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, no, but I fought
2: the entire summer trying to <laughs> saying <laughs> with Taysom Hill, you know, with, you know, with Taysom Hill, I thought eight eight wins would be good against the schedule. Yeah, no, right. That's with a senior Heisman hopeful. Ah, <sighs> so, but I, I think yeah. BYU's winning record, they go to a bowl game, all that. I, above that, I, I don't know. But I even need to you see said this morning,
6: like after BYU beat Nebraska, you were more inclined to think more than eight wins if Taysom
2: Hill, if was, Taysom healthy, Hill was healthy. Because they played so well. Yeah, they did, didn't they? <sighs>
3: Well, guys, you got a great show. I mean, I, I don't know how you keep
6: talking hope about that's it. We every day. Well, you know what? This know. one's special. Hey, listen, Matt. Before we go, what? Um, inside BYU football tonight, my friend. What? You need you need to watch. What time? Five thirty Mountain, seven thirty PM Eastern.
3: Okay. I'm writing I'm tell- it down. Like, putting it on my calendar. We've seen
6: a few excerpts, like the emotion contained in that game, from the elation. To then the heartbreak of finding out uh, that Taysom Hill is done for the season, all behind the scenes in the locker room. It's, it's amazing, unbelievably moving. Oh, that sounds good.
1: Okay,
3: tonight I'm watching it, and Seriously. and he's going to be he's going to remain the captain.
2: Taysom. Well, well, we'll see. There's a yesterday. Bronco Mendenhall addressed that and said, "I'm discussing this with Taysom, and we'll figure out what's best."
3: Oh, that's so hard for him. Isn't that crazy? It
2: just stinks to the it
3: highest does. degree. It totally does. Okay, I'm watching that. Great, great advice, gentlemen. Have a great show. Go get ready. I know you got to wax up. Get your makeup on.
2: All right. <laughs> Thanks, Maddie.
3: Good luck, gentlemen. Wow. Oh, that really is. I mean, isn't that crazy? They, they have this incredible past, but it's so somber. Taste out for the season. Oh, man. Tragic. Really, we just did the whole thing on Emily, his wife. Remember? She was so great. I bet you, she was crushed. Oh, well. It's weird how life happens, isn't it? I mean, at least it's better than this. Listen to this. Um, A dad of two has broken the record for playing the longest marathon soccer video game by playing FIFA 15 15, nonstop for 48 hours. (laughs) Thank you, children. Uh, By the way, we just had a a scout group come in to uh, visit us today. Chris Cook will appear in the Guinness World Records of 2016 Gamers Edition next week after spending 47 hours, 19 minutes, and 41 seconds playing football simulation video game FIFA 15. The 34-year-old completed his epic marathon at Loading Bar in Dalston, London, breaking the previous record of 47 hours and 5 minutes, held by Canadians Jordan Bloman and Scott Francis Winder. Thank you, kids. Yes, you love FIFA. Chris, a diehard Arsenal fan, said, I think I could have gone on for longer, but you need uh, a support team around you. And by 9 p.m. on the night, some of mine were needing buses to get home. (laughs) He outlasted his support network. He said, my eyes were all right, but in the end it was hard work. If someone else breaks my record in the future... I don't know whether I would try to challenge it. So, you know, if you can't be an athlete, play FIFA 15. That took endurance, though, just like an athlete. I mean, I know I know you play a lot of video games. You know what I mean?
1: Like <clears throat> that shooting game.
3: You played Deer Hunter 2014. You play that. Yes. But you also play – let me get them up here. I'm pulling them up.
1: Yeah, I sent you a text with with all the. Ones you love I
3: Minecraft for sure. Yes. You told me you played twelve hours of Doodle Jump. Yes. Which is that's just amazing because that's like a really boring game.
1: You have to get really good at doodling in that. Case.
3: And then tell me, remember the line you always gave me that you put the Flappy and Flappy Birds
1: to flap around? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good line.
3: Um, uh, then there's this one. Oh, Pearl's Peril. Which is that female pilot lady, and it's a whole like you'll go live her life Yes. a female that, that's pilot. That's actually
1: my favorite one.
3: By the way, these are all games on my on my phone. One of the greatest, by the way, lately, Flight Pilot. It's my new favorite. You ought to go try it, Ben.
1: I'm on it. I've been playing it. Flight
3: Pilot. I I now. If anybody needs to know, I can now. I can land about 12 different airplanes, including a 747 Boeing 747. <laughs> Thank you, children. Thank you very much, children. Well, anyway, as you know, we like to wrap up the show talking about heroes. And if you remember last week, a Michigan came to Utah to play the University of Utah. But there's a hero story from a Michigan fan that we wanted to bring up uh, because, honestly, to me, it's just super cool. Michigan football fans may have been unhappy after their 24-17 loss to the University of Utah last Thursday, But a handful were not feeling ungenerous. Breanne Snow was given a $3,000 tip for a tab of $505 at 1 in the morning that night. She said uh, Thursday at Bourbon House Bar in Salt Lake City, someone from a group of patrons wearing University of Michigan gear used an American Express black card to cover the gratuity writing um, at Tips for Jesus and Go Blue. Hashtag go blue on the receipt. I've been in the bar business for 19 years and I've never seen anything like this, she said. I think it's awesome. I went and cried in the corner for a couple of minutes. Snow said she said she and her boyfriend both worked two jobs to pay off debt. We're working so hard he never sees the payout from it, she said. It came as such a relief. He could have picked anyone else in there. And for me, to pick me, it meant a lot because we were working so hard. Le said at first he doubted the legitimacy of the card but Snow said before the group tipped her they told her to go look up tips for Jesus After she saw the tip they took a photo of her for Instagram she said the Instagram account at tips for Jesus had not uh, posted a photo of the show of this of uh, Snow by 4 p.m. last Friday when this um, was written. Tips for Jesus has now made headlines since 2013, when a $3,000 tip was left at a bar in Ann Arbor, Michigan, home of the University of Michigan. The anonymous group takes pictures of the servers and posts them on its Instagram account, which had more than 88,000 followers as of September 4th. The known record for the tips uh, is $11,000 tip left at an Arizona restaurant last year. This is the first time a Utah server has been the beneficiary. It's a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal, folks. Hero of the day right there, Townsend's Heroes, some tippers from Michigan. Folks, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we can't do it without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools. Until then, make it a great one.